Rebel Force Radio is brought to you in part by Little Debbie Snacks, bakers of all galactic goodness, like mini donuts, star crunch, cosmic cupcakes, cosmic brownies, nutty bars, and much more. Little Debbie, official snack of Rebel Force Radio and fans around the galaxy. Zebra Imaging Star Wars 3D Holograms are here. Incredible three-dimensional collectibles featuring memorable characters and moments from the Star Wars saga. Visit rebelforceradio.com and click on the Star Wars 3D Hologram banner. From Tops comes the all-new digital card collecting app, Star Wars Card Trader. For the first time ever, collect and trade everything from legendary 1977 Star Wars cards to new cards featuring exclusive content from Star Wars Episode 7: The Force Awakens, all from the comfort of your mobile device. Star Wars Card Trader. These are the cards you're looking for. Let's get it, Star Wars! Let's get it, Star Wars in here! Let's get it, Star Wars! Let's get it, Star Wars, in here! A small rebel force has penetrated the shield and landed on Endor. This is where the fun begins. A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. This is Rebel Force Radio. Your source for the Force. Star Wars news and commentary. With Jason Swank and Jimmy Mack. I've seen Star Wars 500 times. Star Wars number one. This station is now the ultimate power in the universe. I suggest we use it. Now it's time for Rebel Force Radio. We would be honored if you would join us. I'm just asking the question, is he acting and saying the things that George Lucas can't? You know, they're good buddies, James Cameron and George Lucas. You got James Cameron in this very odd video that just kind of came out of nowhere talking about The Force Awakens. We don't even know when this video was shot, uh, this interview, but it's making the rounds. It's all over the web. James Cameron, the man that brought you Avatar. Didn't that take place on the planet Spotify? Was that it? <laughs> no, it oh, no, no, no. It was Pandora. Pandora. Uh, Napster. I knew it was one of the two. <laughs> Napster. <laughs> the blue people of Napster. Yeah. <laughs> well, anyway, we got that. It's coming up uh, here on the program. Rebel Force Radio, this week's show for July 1st, 2006. Yeah, it's already July. Uh, amazing. And uh, we got a great we got a we got a big show for you this week. Got a couple of great guests. And uh, we'll be talking about that James Cameron quote and uh, bringing you an update on. Uh, well, maybe the last update on the Lucas Museum, all that and a whole lot more. But first, introductions in order. If you are new to the program, my name is Jason. And with me, my good friend and yours from Chicago, <laughs> almost home of the Lucas Museum, oh. Jimmy Mack. Hey. I know, too soon, I'm sorry. I don't say that with any glee. Uh, salt in the wounds, my friends. Salt in the wounds. Yeah. Hey, Jason A. Star Wars fans. Uh, you know, uh, you might notice from the uh, sound quality of my voice uh, as the show goes along that... Uh, that Jimmy Mack is suffering from a little bit of a cold. There's there's a little bit of an illness. Uh, my voice was taken away from me this week. Uh, quite honestly, not only physically, but virally. Uh, I, I lost my voice to a, a slight bout of bronchitis, and I'm on the heel right now. <laughs> but my voice virally has been permanently stripped from me as, uh, well, you know, if, if you guys uh, haven't already heard the news... Uh, You've been following along with with my my fight to bring the Lucas Museum to Chicago. Well, 
Last Friday, we lost the fight. Yes, we lost the fight. George Lucas announced that the Lucas Museum will be searching for a location in California, leaving Chicago behind, leaving a done deal, as we thought, in Chicago behind. Um, So uh, I took to the social media to voice my concern, to engage in spirited debate, about the issue on the Friends of the Parks Facebook page. And uh, while I did uh, make my voice heard loud and clear uh, after a few days of what I thought was uh, spirited debate on their website, I was banned from their website. Oh. So, yes, not only did I lose my voice physically due to this cold, <laughs> but I lost my voice virally due to the fact that I was banned from the Friends of the Park page. And I, I got to tell you... Um, you know, the reason I was banned is is primarily for the fact that I was uh, probably speaking in hyperbole. hyperbolic. Yeah, I, I was being very hyperbolic and um, I was using words like arrogant and elitist and everything because you have to understand the Lucas Museum was taken away from us, uh, even though it was it was a done deal with the city of Chicago, the state of Illinois and the citizens of this state and city. But there was a small special interest group, friends of the parks who uh, filed uh, litigation to uh, essentially obstruct construction. Um, This was never actually seen through all the way through the courts. Uh, It it could drag on forever. George Lucas isn't going to waste time waiting for this ridiculous, (coughs) excuse me, this ridiculous lawsuit to see its way through. So he bailed and, uh, the, the people of Chicago are hurting from this. We are hurting, we are angry, and we are taking to social media to let our voice be heard. Now, why did I get banned from their Facebook page? It doesn't really matter. I I mean, it, 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 it everything came to a screeching halt with me when I posted boycott FOTP, Friends of the Park. I, I, I posted, <laughs> oh, God forbid I should post it. But I was using some very strong rhetoric Prior to that, I wasn't resorting in name calling outside of usage of terminology like elitist and arrogant. Um, you know, which well, it's not name calling. That's no, just being descriptive. Oh, oh my god, if using you, descriptive language. Oh my god, ladies and gentlemen, if you look at the Friends of the Park Facebook page, there is mad profanity going on. People are freaking out. The city on a whole, is extremely angry because of the Friends of the Park. They're, they're using, like, like I said, I think they're elitist arrogance to determine what's best for the city of Chicago. These are unelected officials. And um, so my mission statement was primarily the Friends of the Park are the epitome of a corrupt political epidemic that has placed a stranglehold on progress. They steal from the public and... Rape the city of opportunity. Well, some people criticize me for usage of the word rape. I feel it's fairly appropriate in this case. And I don't mean to belittle anyone who's actually, you know, been victimized of that that crime on, on the sense of the, the definition of that term that we know it as. But I, I thought it was appropriate. And, and so maybe some people felt like I was being just a little too over the top with the usage of that word. And and I, I was struggling with this. I, I was fighting with it all weekend. I was I was taking the debate to people and I was really hoping that Rebel Force Radio listeners would be able to see this debate. But unfortunately, my voice has been silenced because I think I speaketh the truth too much and that scared off the fragile egos of the friends of the park. I am heartbroken. 
I am devastated. I am gutted that the city of Chicago is losing this prime opportunity to accept such a generous act of philanthropy. Uh, The city of Chicago has never seen anything like this before, and it was all shut down due to litigation provided by a small special interest group. However, my being banned from their Facebook page, I don't want anybody to to take it to them and start trolling them and hitting them. I, I think there are plenty of people in Chicago who are currently doing that right now as we speak. But the thing is, is I am actually relieved that I was banned from that page because I felt like I was starting to shift toward the dark side. I felt as if I was being consumed by this necessity to pound these people in the ground for taking away such a golden opportunity for the city of Chicago to rob not only Star Wars fans, but fans of culture and people who appreciate the arts to lose this beautiful museum that was going to be built on the lakeshore of Chicago in a perfect location that was not offensive. Listen, building one building down there on the museum campus where buildings already exist does not completely obscure your view of the lakefront. The lakeshore is miles long, miles long. And I'm all for protecting that, but this is over the top. This has nothing to do with environmentalism. This is all political just to make sure the city of Chicago and the mayor of the city of Chicago look bad. Just because, like I said, folks, it's a display of a horrible political epidemic that is crippling this country, where it's an us-against-them mentality that completely stifles progress. And I'm heartbroken about this, but I am ready to move forward. Like I said, I'm relieved I was banned from their page because now I'm not policing this anymore. Now I'm not monitoring it. I'm, I'm trying to put it in my rearview mirror now because there's nothing I can do. And uh, so I'm just going to blow my whole load about it right now at the start of the show because we have such an amazing show. And my voice is already starting to feel very strained. We are on summer vacation next week. And I need a break, folks. I need to separate myself from this. I've been fighting the fight for so long. And I. It's the struggle all... is real, <clears throat> ladies and gentlemen. The struggle oh, is real. It's been real. And I've made a lot of great friends. I've built up an incredible support group of allies, people in the city of Chicago, Star Wars fans or not, people who love culture, people who love opportunity, people who worked with our coalition to bring jobs to the city to bring tourism to the city. But all of that was thrown out the water by a group of about 16 people who couldn't agree amongst themselves over what the next right move was to be. They I'm looking at these beauties on the Facebook page right now. Oh, right don't, now. please, don't even start. Yeah, they, don't they, even start. The arrogance and the ignorance being displayed on their Facebook page, because now they're bringing the fight back. Now they're starting to fight back because the uproar was so overwhelming now yeah, they got to defend themselves. Now, they're going on the defensive. Starting to, yeah. They're going because, on the defensive. As you say, this, this handful of people ruined it for millions, literally millions. Uh, and ironically, friends of the park are not friends of anybody. But it is funny that um, if you like the Friends of the Park page, uh, people also liked the Lucas Museum of Narrative Art page. Yeah, because they're trying to monitor the yeah, absurdity right, sure. that's coming from the Friends of the Park. It's absolute yeah. absurdity. Uh-huh. It, it's heartbreaking. It makes, for the first time in my life, ladies and gentlemen, I'm sad to be a Chicagoan. And I really mean that. I, I am heartbroken by the way the system has completely let us down and stripped us from this golden opportunity to bring opportunity, employment, 
culture, tourism, revenue. <laughs> was a, it's a, it was a win-win. And, 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 and now the, the Friends of the Park want to produce, they, they want to tell us that it's George Lucas's fault. Well, you know what? Guess we're not going to take that from you. And, and you're, you're not going to work unchecked again because I have friends who are building up a coalition against you. And uh, they're with top lawyers. And you are going to be in check from this point forward, Friends of the Park. But I'm ready to move on. I am ready to move on. Well, uh, but, but before you move on, we do have uh, some audio. This is how the, the news was delivered in Chicago uh, when, the, when it broke that George Lucas was officially pulling up stakes and uh, leaving the city, at least in terms of uh, his hopes for the museum being there. A major development in Chicago's plan to land the George Lucas Museum. The scene brought this one from Star Wars sums it up. And just like the Death Star in the movie, the Chicago proposal blew up today. Lucas said, see ya, vowing to build his museum in California. Disappointed. Disgusted. Mincing no words, a leader of Friends of the Lucas Museum, which has held protest against Friends of the Parks, now blames the nonprofit for driving the museum out of town. A small group of narrow-minded individuals, not elected by anybody has effectively made public policy. Star Wars creator George Lucas also pointed to the group, saying in light of extensive delays caused by Friends of the Parks, Chicago will no longer be considered a potential site for the museum. I just think it's a real sin that you would have people calling themselves the Friends of Chicago, but when there's something that could come that could benefit the entire community, they don't want it. The Lucas board had hoped for a lakefront location, but Friends of the Parks filed a lawsuit blocking anything near the water. The group's downtown offices were closed today. A spokesman issued this statement. It is unfortunate that the Lucas Museum has made the decision to leave Chicago rather than locate the museum on one of the several alternative sites that are not on Chicago's lakefront. That would have been the true win-win. The consequence, of course, is the loss of 4,000 construction jobs, good-paying construction jobs, 2,000 permanent jobs. Mary Manuel also expressed a disappointment. He called it a missed economic opportunity and said Chicago's loss will be another city's gain. Well, I'm more interested in the way she kept saying museum. Yeah, museum. Yeah, that was uh, Dorothy, Tucker, Dorothy Tucker from CBS to <laughs> Chicago. Ms. M, she's very effective when she says that. But yeah. you know what this all comes down to, Jason? This has nothing to do with the environment. This has nothing to do with protecting the lakeshore. This has nothing to do with George Lucas or Star Wars. This is all politically motivated. All they want to do is provide the mayor of the city of Chicago and the city of Chicago with a loss. That's all they're interested in for their own political gain. Uh, the, the, the guy who ran up against uh, Rahm Emanuel in the last runoff election was a guy named Chewy Garcia. A big part of his platform was against the Lucas Museum. He was anti-Lucas well, Museum. How could a guy named Chewy be against the Lucas <laughs> Museum? <laughs> C-H-U-Y. I believe that's uh, a nickname. Chewy Garcia. So, um, but he he fought against Rahm, and that was his big debate point during the runoff election. And the people of the city of Chicago heard that loud and clear, 
and they still did not elect that man to office. So what does that tell you? What does that tell you about what the people of the city want? It's all about the fact that the mayor of the city of Chicago has got big political targets on him for several reasons, and and there are special interest groups out there who are funded by the mayor's enemies who want to see him fail. So it's all about politics. It has nothing to do with environment. It has nothing to do with beautification of the city. As a matter of fact, it robs, and yes, it rapes the city of those opportunities. I will not back down on that standpoint. I am completely disgusted and completely distressed about this entire thing. Michael Whitwer, Sam's brother, of course, has been along with me on this journey, and we have plans to get together and cry into some cocktails about the loss of this. And and that is going to be my final closure on this, friends. I'm not going to continue to drag this through the the, the woods. Uh, you know, uh, some kind of nice. I, I did receive an, uh, an email here um, from uh, a, a, a guy whose uh, name we haven't really heard much, Don Basigalupi, Ph.D., he is the founding president of the Lucas Museum of Narrative Art. This is the man that George Lucas personally hired to run his museum. And Don says to me in an email, I wanted to personally thank you for your support and belief in the Lucas Museum. During these challenging times, it's been heartening to have such an outpouring of enthusiasm and encouragement from so many. I also want to assure you that we will be delighted to welcome you to the museum once we reach our opening celebrations. With sincere gratitude, Don. And you know what, Don? I'm going to take you up on that, my friend. I cross my heart and hope to die that this museum will actually be built. I think it's, you know, right now, uh, Treasure Island in San Francisco, as much as I wanted it to be in Chicago, I would love it to be in San Francisco just for the, 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 the sheer fact that that's where George is from, the, the Bay Area. That's where ILM is. That's where a lot of the guys who are now since retired from ILM, who worked on the original Star Wars films, they can go to this museum and they can show their, their grandchildren some of their accomplishments physically and say, look at this. But however, I think the Treasure Island location is going to prove to be quite challenging. It's a former military base. It's not exactly as it stands right now. You know, visually, it looks terrible. And um, it, it needs a lot of work. There's, there's huge plans for development of this, this, this former military base landfill. That's, it's just right off the Bay Bridge. That's the other big problem. Accessibility to the museum. If it was in downtown Chicago, you could just walk right up to it. It's part of the museum campus. In San Francisco, it's in the middle of the Bay Bridge where rush hour lasts at least half the day. So you're going to be stuck on that bridge. It's going to be really hard to get out there. So they're proposing bringing in ferry boats that George Lucas himself will be personally responsible for, bringing in ferry boats from San Francisco downtown and Oakland, much like they do with Alcatraz. So I don't think that's how George really thought retirement was going to be. You know, because he'll be what, Being a skipper on a ferry boat? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he'll be up there, you know, he'll be driving the thing. He's got the wheel, you know. Sit down! Sit down! <laughs> Keep your hands inside the ferry at all times. See, with my voice, I can't do a good George Lucas, <laughs> obviously. But, uh, but you know, it's, it's going to prove to be challenging. I want to go there. I want to visit there. I want to go to San Francisco to the Lucas Museum. But you know what? I thought L.A. would be impossible for George because he spent so much of his career trying to avoid L.A. He became completely independent to move away from the Hollywood system and create his own thing up in Northern California. So I thought L.A. would be the last place he'd want to go. But, but 
his connection and his 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 love for USC, which is where he cut his teeth on filmmaking, where he became the George Lucas we know today, where he met Steven Spielberg, where he met Charlie Lippincott, where he met Walter Murch, you know, all these great people who have been, Steven Spielberg, people around his career, they all hooked up in USC at that great time in the uh, late 60s, early 70s, when youth filmmaking was coming into the forefront. And George has certainly been known to donate very considerably and generously to USC over the years. So I am beginning to think that LA is going to be the place where the Lucas museum will land. If, and I think that's a big, if it's going to land anywhere. As a matter of fact, the, the mayor of LA tweeted something about their desire to bring in the Lucas museum. And I tweeted back, good luck. You're going to need it. And they liked my tweet. The mayor oh, liked my tweet. So, <laughs> so you know, um, I, I'm, I'm excited that there still could possibly be a future for the museum. I think the future, uh, whatever, you know, a lot of people are jumping in conclusion. It's definitely coming to San Francisco. It's definitely coming to L.A. All of the talks are very much in the infancy right now. It took a long time Two years to get us to where we are in Chicago, and that whole thing crumbled to pieces last week. And it affected my physical health. So I, I blame the friends of the park for my cold. <laughs> You're damn straight I do. But I, I don't even care. We're going to soldier on, Jason. This is going to be a great show. We're, we have unbelievable guests. We have unbelievable content to talk about. And, and because of the fact that next week is... Fourth of July week here in Chicago and and in the USA, um, we are going to. I was going to say what yes. what happened. Yeah, well, you know, I'm so Chicago focused, obviously, but um, you know what? We're going to be celebrating our summer vacation next week. We're going to be taking some time off, which is good. I need it. I need to pull myself away from this because, like I said, Jason, I, I felt like I was drifting toward the dark side so much. You know, trying to just shove it down the friends of the park's throat that they ruined this amazing opportunity and taking it to them on the social media. And I certainly have encouraged a lot of my friends to do so, but my voice was silenced. And you know what? It's all for a good thing. I, I felt so good. I mean, I'm not monitoring it anymore. I'm not policing anymore. It's done. It's gone. Maybe something could happen that will bring the museum back to Chicago. I mean, for crying out loud, everybody in San Francisco thought the deal was dead two years ago. And here we are talking about Treasure Island off the Bay Bridge. So you never know what might happen. But the clock is ticking. And George is getting impatient. He wants this more than anything. I want it more than anything. It doesn't even matter if it's in Chicago anymore to me. I just wanted to be in Chicago because I wanted to be directly involved. And I wanted to meet Rebel Force Radio listeners at the museum. And I wanted to be able to show off my city that way to Star Wars fans from all around the world. But I can't do that now because of these arrogant elitists at the the Friends of the Park. So... I'm getting it all off my chest. This is really good for me, man. This, this is, is some, like therapy. It's it's cathartic. This is cathartic yeah, yeah, yeah. because it's it's been really tough, man. It's it's been sleepless nights. It's, You're on a couch right now, right? You're laying down on your back on a couch. Absolutely, Sigmund. And I'll tell you what. It's been it's been good for me to get this off my chest. It's been good for me to move away from the social media regarding it. And it's good for me to pull myself away from any sort of activism regarding it as well because it's a lose-lose. And, every, and that has to do with everything with the Friends of the Park. How dare they preach to us about a win-win situation because the 
the immediate moment that they got involved in this turned it into a lose-lose. And that's all it is. And it, it, all it does is enforce the fact that Chicago is looked upon as a second city in this country. And it just enforces that more. And I'm embarrassed by it. I am embarrassed. And I'm hurt. I'm heartbroken. But, like I said, it's time to move on. There's a lot of great things happening in Star Wars. I don't want to continue to bang this into the ground so let's get into the wars. All right, let's do it. We've got, as we said, great program coming up. Our friend Kyle Newman, he's going to be dropping by to talk about his latest project, uh, a documentary about the making of what he calls the very first fan film. Uh, more on that later. Also, Anthony Bresnikin. Last week, we started talking about his great coverage uh, as it was uh, being published on the Entertainment Weekly website. We're all in anticipation of the release of the, uh, uh, the, the, the July 1st issue of the magazine on newsstands. We've seen it. We've read all the stuff at EW.com and in the magazine. So we've got Anthony with us this week to talk all about that. Uh, but uh, before we get into the rest of the show, oh, we're going to take a little trip down to the rfr sound lab i believe yes. what, what do we you know jason that's the place i go when i start feeling bummed out i go yeah, down yeah, in the yeah, rfr yeah. sound lab and i start playing around because uh-huh. i know that i will emerge a better person and a much more happy and fulfilled fan so i went down in the rfr sound lab after watching jimmy kimmel live okay mm-hmm. jimmy kimmel I don't watch Jimmy Kimmel too often, but I love Jimmy Kimmel. And uh, whenever I see his show, I, I, I just laugh my butt off. And he does this bit. It's a recurring bit. It's called Slow and Tell. Have you heard of this one, Jason? I have not. No. Slow uh-huh. and Tell. Well, it caught my eye. Uh, they, they did this one night where they take, they take celebrities and they slow them down by 50%. And by doing so... It makes the person sound like they are completely hammered, wasted, drunk. <laughs> okay. okay. Uh-huh. And they, they did it with Donald Trump. Rolling Thunder. Look at all these bikers. Do we love the bikers? Yes. We love the bikers. <laughs> But all over the place, no matter where I go, there's bikers. All right, so he sounds hammered, right? Of course, Donald Trump is not drunk. The man doesn't drink alcohol. It doesn't make him, you know, he doesn't drink alcohol, but he's not the type of guy you want to meet at the bar, though, after hearing that. Let me just say So, you know, being bummed out about the whole Lucas Museum thing, I I needed a laugh. And so I put my headphones on and I said, you know what, let's have some fun with audio here. Let's do a slowed down Rebel Force Radio. Let's do slow and tell Rebel Force Radio. So I I took a little moment from the end of uh, last week's show. Uh, Usually by the end of the show, we don't require any sort of enhancement. But (laughs) here's uh, Jason and myself starting with me first. Uh, this is uh, RFR slow and tell. What, what, what I would have loved to have seen is uh, you know, Ahsoka. She gets a land speeder. She drives off with Lux Bound Terry, and they make little Ahsokas and little Luxes and live happily ever after on a farm. 
Okay, is that what you want to have happen? I like my ending better, actually. I think that that um, what what people didn't want is they didn't want the door closed on, you know, Ahsoka uh, entering into the uh, the arena of Star Wars plots, you know, in the future. What the hell did I just say? <laughs> I see. I sound like the drunk guy that's trying very hard to not sound drunk. It's like, oh, but no, but I'm. I am still very intelligent, and <laughs> but I'm. I'm like the guy, you know, because because you're you, you. At least your delivery is kind of a, sort of a, a more of a monotone thing. Where I'm like, well, I, I'm the roller coaster. I'm the roller coaster. Well, I like to, uh, Soka. You know, it's just ridiculous. <laughs> But I'll like tell you, the drunk on the Andy Griffith show, Otis. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, though. That I mean, really, uh, it really lifts my spirits. <laughs> Thank you so much, Jimmy Kimmel Show. <laughs> and uh, you know, hey, maybe we'll uh, we'll feature a little bit more RFR slow and tell going into the future. If you have a suggestion for maybe a piece of audio you'd like us to slow down to fifty percent and make them sound hammered. Could be from anyone. It could be from Mark Hamill. It could be from Kyle Newman. For all I know, but just you know, go ahead and give us your suggestions. Show at RebelForceRadio.com. Fun with audio in the RFR Sound Lab. Lifting our spirits after the loss of the Lucas Museum. It's hammered RFR. Slow and tell. All right, I want to take a brief time out and talk to you about Loot Crate. We've told you about them before. Loot Crate. You get collectibles, apparel, and more from your favorite pop culture franchises delivered right to your door every single month. We're talking about a new t-shirt in every crate. Figures, comics, stuff for your kitchen, a wide range of exclusive items you can't get from anywhere else. And we got all the major franchises like Harry Potter, Marvel Comics, Fallout 4, and of course, Star Wars. And you get all of this for less than $20 a month. Loot Crate. Come geek out with us and make sure you head over to LootCrate.com slash RebelForce and enter the code RebelForce to save $3 off any new subscription. Now, coming in July, join them as they celebrate the futuristic. They've packed July's crate with items from some of pop culture's favorite prognostications of science and the future. Look towards tomorrow with items like Rick and Morty, Futurama, Star Trek, Mega Man, Valiant Comics, including a model, a figure, and don't forget about their monthly T-shirt and pin. Be sure to order by the 19th. Yeah, and make sure to head to lucrate.com slash rebelforce, enter the code rebelforce, and save $3 off any new subscriptions. They're going to take care of you because they know you came from here. I have good news for you, my lord. That's good news. Come closer, I have good news. All right, still to come, Anthony Bresnikin. He'll be uh, breaking down the news with us. His own news that he broke at Entertainment Weekly. But first, do have to talk about this uh, video that showed up online this week. James Cameron, director of such films as Terminator 2 and Avatar and the biggest movie of all time, still the reigning box office champion, Titanic. Uh, so this video showed up 
there's Jim. I have not seen this being attributed to any particular uh, news outlet. Right. Yeah. Um, it was leaked. It, it was leaked by someone, a guy named JJ Binks, on <laughs> YouTube. I'm not kidding you. JJ oh, really? Binks. Yeah. Really. Yeah. Uh, on oh, YouTube God. and um, uh-huh. and uh, uh, others picked up on it. EW.com picked mm-hmm. up on it. And uh, if you go to their website now looking for that video, you'll see the video has been blocked. And um, yeah. other websites also have posted up the video and that has been blocked. I've done so much research because it, it, it's a young lady sitting on a outside porch with James Cameron. And um, I... Don't know what the context of their conversation is all about. We only have a mere 40 seconds of this conversation. I don't know who the girl is. I don't know what outlet she's with. I researched this to death. Not even EW could provide us with the identity or the origin of this clip. But um, somebody sitting down with James Cameron and uh, talk turns to Star Wars The Force Awakens. What? What what I would have loved to I don't think I'm so. sorry I had to. That's I a to. that's a real mystery clip right there. Let me tell you. <laughs> All right. So, have you seen the new one? Yes, I have. How what do you think? Well, look, George Lucas is a friend of mine, and uh, he and I were having a, a, a good uh, conversation mm-hmm. the other day about it. Uh, I don't want to say too much about the film. Yeah, definitely. I also, I also have a lot of respect for J.J. Abrams, yeah. and I want to see where they're taking it mm-hmm. next, you know, mm-hmm. see, what they're, see what they're doing with it. Um, I have to say that I felt that George's group of six films had more uh, innovative visual imagination. Mm-hmm. And this film was more of a retrenchment to things you had seen before and characters you had seen before. And it took a few baby steps forward with new characters. So for me, the jury's out. I want to see where they go with it. Well, I don't know that that's terribly unfair. Uh, you know, now that I hear the clip, um, you know, there's sensationalism going on in the headlines and the way that this is being reported. You know, a lot of people, a lot of there. people have accused. Not only EW's post, but others posting this clip as being link bait. I don't. I don't think so much. I mean, uh, you know, I think I think he is offering a fair critique of the Force Awakens. And no, it's not glowing. And yes, he does preface his critique. His critique being that the thing is is basically retro. It's derivative. Is what he's saying. If I can break it down, but he does preface it all with saying. I was just talking to George Lucas about this. <laughs> well, so right, that, what, yeah. is, what he's indicating uh-huh. is that he is echoing the sentiments of Mr. Lucas. Yeah, I, I read it that way too, Jim. Yeah. I'm, I, I'm with you on that. For sure. Um, but if you look at, like, for example, The Guardian, you know, their headline was uh, James Cameron, Force Awakens lacked imagination of Star Wars prequels. I, he never says the words prequel. He never says episodes one, two, and three. He says the six films that George did. Um, you know, and and again, this is nothing that we haven't heard. I mean, following the release of the film, we had a lot of people, listeners to this show, uh, us and other friends of the program that came on to break it down, you know, have been saying the same things. Uh, Kyle just earlier was talking about, you know, his uh, dissatisfaction of, you know, Jakku and making it a very Tatooine-like uh, planet. That, but, was, that was not Kyle. That was Hutch. 
Oh, oh, yeah, I'm yeah, sorry. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, maybe you know Kyle's a surrogate for Hutch, just like you know James Cameron might be a surrogate <laughs> for George Lucas in this case. <laughs> yes. But I think that I, I think you hit it right on the head. That's the takeaway for me is the way he sets that up. Um, is I was you know I was just talking to George the other day and. Blah, 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 blah. Yep, 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 yep. This is what George thinks. This is what I think. Now you yeah. know. Now you know. But it's uh, it's, it's no lie. You know, what he's saying is not, he's not stretching the truth. The Force Awakens is totally derivative. The Force Awakens is totally retro. And I am not con- condemning it for that. It's a fact. It's an absolute fact. And it's part of what appealed to us so much about that film let's reestablish star wars not a reboot a reestablishment and what do you do take it down to its core take it down to its foundation that's kind of what us fans have been wanting for a long time it is i i I wouldn't i what i where i don't agree with cameron as he talks i i wouldn't call the introduction of ray and finn and kylo ren baby steps yeah 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 i don't think that yes I, I agree with you there, Jason. I, I thought there were risks taken with that character. We saw a, a strong female protagonist. We saw um, a, an emotionally unstable antagonist. We saw a compelling sidekick in Finn. We saw... I don't, I don't think any of that is baby steps. I think it's, it's a pure reestablishment of the saga. And... Um, and I mean, my God, Ray's story begs so many questions. The mystery surrounding Ray, the mystery surrounding Kylo Ren, the yeah. mystery surrounding a character we've known since day one, Luke Skywalker. None of that is baby steps. It challenges us as an audience. It doesn't just spill it all out for us. It presents the whole story to us in terminology that we know, understand, and speak fluently. But it also provides a ton of mystery, a ton of intrigue, and begs so many questions and leaves us desiring the next installment of the saga in the most appropriate way. So I don't call that baby steps at all. No, I don't think so. And, you know, also, and, and I do want to say up front here that the, the, we have not been able to verify the following comments, but there was a story that's making the round about concept artist Ian McKeg. Ian McKeg worked on uh, all of the Star Wars prequels, and Ian was at a uh, at a recent Art and Industry of Imagination conference. Now that is that you can prove uh, he was there. You can go on their website. You can see it. What you can't prove is what he said at the conference, but he is being quoted as saying several things, one of which is that the Han Solo standalone film is the best Star Wars script ever. Um, I bring this up because, Jim, as we were talking about these, these baby steps and there were risks taken, um, according to Ian McKaig, uh, Disney executives were reluctant to include non-Caucasian characters. The new trio were all initially all Caucasian, but it was J.J.'s favoring of John Boyega that brought about Seven's multicultural character set. So J.J. really uh, had a thing for John Boyega, believed he was right for the part, uh, though it wasn't written for someone of you know African descent. Uh, J.J. fought for it and uh, cast him. And so 
that again, that was a risk making the protagonist uh, a female. I think that, that was a risk. That so there verified. were a lot of risks taken, um, and uh, so you know, I don't think Cameron is. Um, I, I think he's missing it there. McKeg also said that uh, there was a banishment of anything mildly prequel-related in the pre-production phase of uh, Episode 7. Usage of prequel-only characters, environments, etc. were banned as to not incur the fan base's wrath. Yeah. So that's, uh, you know, that's probably... Nothing new for Rebel Force Radio listeners. We had talked about that. It's something we had sensed, but uh, it is interesting to hear it coming from someone like, if this can be believed, uh, Ian McKay, who was, who was there. Well, take, um, note, take note of the suffocation of the prequel era since Disney has taken control of Lucasfilm. Clone Wars, an animated show set in the prequel era, canceled. Release of the 3D prequels. You know, of course, The Phantom Menace 3D was released during the Lucasfilm reign. But box office release of episode two and three scrapped, even though those films were completed and ready yep. for release and part of the release schedule scrapped. So right there, you have two obvious examples of the the corporation turning their back on the prequels. Will this last forever? I highly doubt it because that's a very rich universe that was developed over the course of about two decades, the prequel era. And I think that it's prime real estate to be built upon, but right now it's not the priority. So I don't want people freaking out thinking, you know, it's death to the prequel era or anything like that. I think the prequel era will have a resurgence after a certain amount of time when Star Wars has been fully reestablished as being the thing that we understand it to be growing towards, you know? But uh, I think there is still room for the prequels in the future. I just don't think the immediate future is necessarily part of the schedule. Yeah. And uh, Ian says that, you know, George's initial script for Episode 7 was rejected outright because of the company's stance on the prequels and prequel only characters, environments, etc. So, um, so one thing yeah. we can glean from this is that George's script uh, borrowed perhaps from the prequel era, at least in terms of characters and situations. And that was one of the strikes against it. Mm. Wow. You know, it's so compelling to think about what that script really contained and how George was, was conspiring to combine the prequel trilogy with the original trilogy and create an even more complex environment, an even more complex universe. Maybe that's not what movie goers want right now. Maybe that's not what Star Wars fans want right now. But to me, as a, a someone who's followed Star Wars history and George Lucas history so closely, I'm chomping at the bit to read that script. Yeah. Yeah, me too. Um, he do, said do that he was think... unable to confirm or deny if George's script had any influence or effect on, you know, the uh, the final script by uh, Michael Arndt, uh, Lawrence Kasdan. Do you ever think Abrams. we'll see that script? No, I don't, I, think I don't either. I don't yeah. either. And quite honestly, I'd like to pull the curtain back just a little bit here. And I'd like to talk about the making of the Force Awakens book, which was scheduled to be released 
gosh, I believe by now, or maybe no, by the fall, I think it was scheduled. It has been since wiped off of the, the release schedule, and the whole book is being rewritten. J.W. Rinsler, Jonathan Rinsler, former Lucasfilm, Jonathan Rinsler, that's right, Jonathan is no longer with the company. He was let go at the beginning of the year, and he turned in a book that was outright rejected by Kathleen Kennedy about the making of Star Wars. And it's my personal opinion, folks, that J.W. Jonathan, he may have revealed too much about the George Lucas saga, the George Lucas divorce from Star Wars and, oh. and George's original concepts for Star Wars Episode Seven. I think he was hitting too close to the nerve. And so the book was outright rejected and is being completely rewritten. No new release date scheduled for this book. But I do know that Jonathan Rinsler is no longer an employee at Lucasfilm. After all those years he'd been there, after all those years he'd worked directly under George Lucas, he's no longer there. So, I mean, what does that tell you, ladies and gentlemen? It all kind of adds up, doesn't it? It's... um, it might be an attempt to completely separate George Lucas from the future of Star Wars. And that separation had already come into play with George making the divorce final, completely, yeah. you know, pulling himself away. Apparently what had happened was he submitted the script and was told that there were going to be revisions made and they would get in touch with him and uh, they would they would bang it out. And then all of a sudden a completed script showed up on his, his doorstep one day and with a post-it note on it saying, George, what do you think? and george was like what do i think well i think we're done (laughs) and that's that's effectively what happened george went on uh 60 minutes and and uh my goodness said he sold lucasfilm to the white traders and so i (laughs) or white slavers the white white slavers slavers specific so i mean you know we haven't really talked about that on roboforce radio that all happened during the holidays and Mm. uh, i don't think we were really on the air too much merry christmas But I, uh, but you know, it, it's I, I hate to see that happen, and I, but yeah. um, but maybe there there can be a, a resolution someday. Maybe George will be brought back into the fold of Star Wars in some way, shape, or form, and maybe we actually will get to at least read his treatment for Episode Seven. I, I certainly would love to see it, just like I loved reading his rough drafts and initial drafts for Star Wars: A New Hope and Empire Strikes Back. I've read the Lee Brackett first draft for empire strikes back countless numbers of times it doesn't ruin the final product for me as a matter of fact it enhances it because i appreciate the history of storytelling and i appreciate the history of star wars so you know i'm stifling history uh you know i mean that's that's corporate america for you that's pretty much all i have to say yeah, on a high note, we'll just uh, reiterate what McKeg was saying about the, the Han Solo script. He said uh, Lawrence Kasdan actually wrote it before he began his work on Episode 7. And uh, paraphrasing, by far the best Star Wars script and one of the best scripts, period, that I've ever read. I laughed. I cried. I did all the things you should do when reading a good script. You're in for a treat. So uh, once again, Ian McKeg, uh, concept artist for the prequels trilogy. Um and uh, can't there's no audio. We don't know. You know, we have no uh, recording of McKaig saying this. And there's not a ton of outlets reporting on the story, but there are enough of them that we thought we should uh, bring it to your attention. So there you have it. Ian McKaig and his thoughts about the upcoming 
Han Solo film. Uh, what, what, what I would have loved to have seen is <laughs> stop it. Just cut it out already. Uh, uh, <laughs> let's just uh, let's just go into the cantina. How about it? I'm thirsty. Star Wars, Star Wars cantina. Where are you going, Master? For a drink. Sorry about the mess. You will never find the more wretched hive of scum and villainy. We must be cautious. <laughs> All right, let's bring him on. Bresnikin. We got to get a jingle for Brez. Bresnikin. 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 Hey. Hey, there he is. Hey, we're working on your jingle. We're we're trying to come up with a jingle for you, Bresnikin. Um, Oh, yeah? uh, Yeah, like a Bresnikin. What do you think about that? (laughs) Some sort of intro. What do you prefer? Well, you, I, I leave that in the hands of the experts. I'm no songwriter. All right. Well, for next time, for sure. Neither's Jimmy, obviously. Yeah, we're just doing. I, excuse me. I'm working <laughs> well, acapella magic here. Bless the kids. <laughs> you got to record all the parts. Pop, 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 pop. Like that John Williams guy. Yeah. Uh, is he available? No. Uh, you know what? The, the yeah, he, the guy that did the John Williams video isn't the guy that did the the audio. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, the guy that did the video, just he just did the lip sync. He did the easy stuff. Yeah. Anyway, we're not here to talk about that. We're here to talk about uh, Anthony's incredible coverage of uh, what we know about Rogue One so far. Uh, if you haven't picked it up, boy, by the time this podcast goes live, you might be out of luck. But, of course, all the, the, um, the, uh, the stories are available on uh, the Entertainment Weekly site at EW.com. But if you can still pick up an issue... Uh, it's on, uh, new, as we record this podcast, it's on newsstands right now, uh, the July 1st issue of Entertainment Weekly at Rogue One on the cover. And uh, that's just the, the scratching the surface. There's so much more to this. So true. And, it, and you know what? I mean, it's 100% full of awesome. But before we really get into uh, scratching underneath the surface of all of the amazing Rogue One stuff that you broke, Anthony, last week... Um, I just want to say that you sent us a really nice email after listening to last week's show. And uh, that kind of propelled me to bring you on board because it was a really interesting thing you brought up in your email, Anthony, uh, regarding Jason's impersonation of Saw Gerrera. Oh, geez. (laughs) So, so Anthony, if I can, I I don't want to read your email. I'd, I'd rather hear it directly from you. What was the, you made a connection between the character of Saw Gerrera and another very famous cinematic uh, force from the 80s. <laughs> and, I think uh, it was more of a ret connection. I think he was kind enough to retcon. <laughs> the, uh, well, I was listening to it, and what I noticed was when you talked about Saw Gerrera, I, get, who, I forget now who it was. Was it Jimmy? or, or it, was, uh, it, was, it was me. It was Swank. Was it Jason? Okay. Yep. So, like... You said something like, like the way you made mention of like how Forrest Whitaker talks, and that he says, uh, "What are you prepared to do?" And as soon as I heard that, I was like, "Oh, that's what that voice reminds me of." Because you were, you were close, but not 
no, yeah, no I didn't get, I didn't nail the line. I didn't. No get cigar, no cigarera <laughs> there. And uh, <laughs> oh, you know, I didn't even notice. I didn't even notice this last but week. You did nail the line for another character, Jimmy Malone. It was Jimmy, oh yeah, yeah, James Malone from uh-huh. The Untouchables. Yes. The, the character that won Sean Connery his Oscar, which is he says that a couple of times to Elliot Ness. You know that one point when they're in the church and there's like the close up of them mm-hmm. kneeling and and he's like trying to recruit Jimmy to to join him on the uh, the squad that's going to bust the bootleggers and he's like tired of half measures and he's like what are you prepared to do you know that's <laughs> yeah. more Scrooge McDuck than uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh the great late Alan Young <laughs> that's a little bit more Scrooge McDuck than uh, but it's sort of like and then he says it at the end when he's uh, you know spoiler alert for this twenty five year old movie like oh. that he um, that he's uh, when he's dying he's oh says, that scene like, still kills me what are you prepared to do okay and, well here uh, you know what before we go forward let's just let, let's go through this uh, you know in an audio sort of way for starters mm-hmm. let's start off with um, the actual voice of Forrest Whitaker. And he's saying the line correctly here. <laughs> from yes. the, uh, this is from <laughs> Whitaker the, gets it right. Whitaker gets Amazing. it right. All this right. is from the Rogue One trailer. Okay. Oh, here we go. I got it right here, Jim. I can. I can oh, fire. please, here. please, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, here we go. What will you do when they catch you? What will you do if they break you? If you continue to fight, what will you become? What will you become? Come and so yeah. then last week during the show, Swank, uh, I mean, and doing just a really dead on perfect. Oh yeah, movie. it was yep, yeah, yep, perfect. indistinguishable from the real thing, uh, except for the you know not getting the line right. This is it. This is me. <laughs> what are you prepared to do? <laughs> I play that. Can you play that one one more time? That's hilarious. <laughs> what are you prepared to do? Okay, it was it was off the cuff. All right, just you're you're a regular rich little there, uh, a <laughs> man of one and a half voices. I tell you what. So and of course that line is a recurring line in 1987's The Untouchables, one of the greatest films ever shot in Chicago, and it was Sean Connery who kept saying that line over and over again to uh, Kevin Costner's Elliot Ness to sort of pump him up and, and focus him and stuff. So we have a montage of every time Sean Connery as Jimmy Malone repeated that line in The Untouchables. By the way, Jim, I got to say, best movie shot in Chicago about a guy from Cleveland. Say that. What are you prepared to do? What are you prepared to do? What are you prepared to do now? What are you prepared to do <laughs> I thought you were going to slip Carrie Fisher saying baboon ass. <laughs> Don't tempt us. By the time you hear the show back, it'll be in there. So, <laughs> so anyway, so Anthony, you made this connection and you, um, you, you actually thought that, that maybe there was, that was some sort of uh, mystical uh, connection there where, you you found that that there is some similarity between the Jimmy Malone character and and what you're hearing about Saw Gerrera. Well, a little bit. It made me think the next time I talk to Gareth Edwards or, or Kathy Kennedy, I'm going to ask, hey, was, uh, you know, Sean Connery from The Untouchables maybe an influence? Oh, and, and they might say, nah, or, yeah. hmm, or similar, but that was accidental. But I was thinking it wasn't so mystical. I just thought you maybe had that in the back of your head. And the voices are similar when he's dying and the way Saw Gerrera talks. 
in that trailer kind of uh, it just rang a bell with me, and so I thought I thought oh, maybe that maybe that's something. So when I was emailing you guys, uh, complimenting you on your awesome show last week, uh, yeah, I just thought I would bring that up. But I'm happy to be back on the program. Well, we're we're happy to have you, and and thank you for um, you know I, yes, of course I meant it uh, f- from the moment I said it. So yes, that's exactly how I wanted it to go down. <laughs> trying to draw a connection with the with the Untouchables, but no, the. Um, how how for you, uh, Anthony, has the, is this different? Is is Disney and Lucasfilm are they following a a similar pattern to what you experience with the Force Awakens, or uh, are they are they more forthcoming with this? Are they less? What or is it same old same old? Uh, I think they're following a similar pattern. The only difference is the timeline is slightly different. Last year we had the Force Awakens. Uh, at celebration in March and now it's in July and I'm not sure why they scheduled, you know, for the later date this year, but I think we're also seeing a difference in the rollout because uh, force awakens didn't have a star Wars movie in its immediate wake or in its preceding it immediately. I guess I should say it wasn't following in the wake of another star Wars movie. It was um, on its own in a way there'd been years. How many years since the, uh, I guess like ten years, essentially, since uh, Revenge well, of the Sith. Yeah, since ninety-five. So uh, two thousand five, right? Yeah, yeah. ten and or, a yeah, half. Two thousand five, yeah. right? Ten and a half years, if you want to be specific. Yeah, yeah. yeah given the, yeah the Christmas release, but the um, you know, I think with Rogue One, they can't really start hyping one Star Wars movie until another has kind of uh, left the stage. Yeah, and so course, yeah. I think you know, giving it giving it a, a, a somewhat later rollout was inevitable because of the you know you 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 don't you it's very easy for us who are diehard star wars fans and follow it all very closely and know the ins and outs to not get lost but i think it's very easy for casual fans to be totally confused by two trailers for two different star wars movies running at pretty much the same time that's a challenge that not even marvel has to face uh, with its many films many superhero stories you see one you know it's ant-man you see you know it's doctor strange there's not much brand confusion there, but I think they're kind of rolling it out a little later as a result of just trying to keep them distinct. Yeah. Do you get a sense that there's, uh, you know, any concern about people? Does it come up in conversation about we really don't want people to think they're going to see episode eight, for example? Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I, it's something I'm conscious of because mm-hmm. I, uh, you know, anecdotally will talk to people or chat with with folks uh who aren't necessarily diehard, who aren't Star, who aren't Star Wars fans. You know, I, I hear from people all the time who are like, you know, I've never seen a Star Wars movie. What? And I just think, yeah, I think like, well, that's like saying I never heard music. I really don't understand. Yeah, I've never had could, ice cream. How you could never like, how you could, couldn't even accidentally see one. I mean, I, but oh, okay. <laughs> um, accidentally. I fell down and saw a Star Wars. <laughs> I fell into a well and there was a laptop down there. And it was, it was a movie it had on it was Star Wars. You know, <laughs> Not so crazy. Not so far fetched. No, not and at it's all. like, how do you not see it? Just again, like just in bits and pieces over the years. Like you've got to have seen the whole movie. It's so quoted. And it's such a part of pop culture. But, but there are a lot of people who are who, who've seen them and know them and like them, but are 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 casual fans. You know, they're they're not super committed to it. And I think it that yeah, there are some who are like, well, wait, does this have Finn and Ray in it? And you've got a, a guy like me who's writing for. Uh, uh, you know, and a pretty broad audience 
with uh, that that picks up Entertainment Weekly. Like, I've got to try to write some things that appeal to the the people who have been following every scrap of information about this movie from the get go, and also uh, kind of explain what the hell's going on to the folks who are uh, you know who need a need a little bit more of a Sherpa. I, I, I want to tell you, um, you know, not to make this just a total mutual admiration society here, Anthony, but I want to thank you for uh, keeping you're, you're, you're a great writer. You have this style that doesn't talk down to people, but also doesn't delve into, you know, the snarky, cynical style that is so popular today, especially in covering entertainment. Um, I think that your, your fandom uh, appears, uh, you know, from the sense of there's a there's definitely an understanding. You understand what you're talking about, um, but you just really strike a great balance in in your coverage. It's so balanced and thoughtful, respectful, and all of that. And it's you know I know it's so tempting for people to lapse into that kind of you know uh, mean spirited fanboy, and you don't you don't go anywhere near that. So thank you. Yes. Yeah, I don't see much point in being mean and cruel to a movie that's not out yet. You know, uh, <laughs> certainly there are some that deserve the pinata treatment, but uh, <laughs> I was kind of laughing listening to your show last week because you were, because we did a very, we kind of, what we've learned uh, at EW about covering these movies is we get, I get a lot of information at, for these covers. You know, I have a lot of interviews and, con- and, and, and conversations, and so much fits in print. And then there's a ton left to put online. And I kind of think of them as the print version is for the casual fans and the collectors who just want to have, like, you know, their program from the ice capades or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. And, the, and the online rollout is really the deeper dive. There's, it's limitless. We can put it out any way we want. You know, I can, I can do a you know, 200-word item on Darth Vader in the magazine, but online I can, I can go, you know, 1,000 words or 800 words or whatever, you know, whatever, as long as it's uh, interesting. And, I, and so we kind of rolled things out slowly, and so there was more that – I think you guys, you record every, every Wednesday, right? So um, – yeah. You were um, you only got like half of the half of the coverage. Oh yeah, I, not even. I don't think but, it was day was, one. I, what I liked was that one of the things we rolled out first was the character descriptions, and I was listening to you read them, and they it reminded me the voice you were doing to read them made me think like. It was the. It was like reading the profile on the dating game. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God! When I was listening to the show back, I was almost tempted to put the dating game music underneath that. <laughs> you were like Jin Erso, a streetwise delinquent, has been on rent since the age of fifteen. Bum 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 bum. I was bum, like, Can I write these badly? But then I, you know, part of it is I'm just trying to make an introduction to. To, to anybody who doesn't know, you know what's what with these characters. But you remember when the when that when the the character names leaked about a month or so ago? Oh yeah, I was damn. They you know it, 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 we were, were beat. We were going to report this big cover. We we'd had it in the works for a couple of months, and uh, I didn't yet know the information, but I knew we'd be getting it. And then I was like, oh damn! But then I loved that the that the bios were all placeholder text, so it was all just like Jin Erso. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Uh, a rebel fighter who, with her cohorts in the Alliance, will be yes. determined to take down the Death Star. Like, I love that that was it. <laughs> there it is. Cassie Edwards, my 
intelligence officer brought in to steady the volatile air cell. <laughs> but he's no square. He's, he's no, no square. square. <laughs> that, came, that came from Kiri Hart. I was like, I was he's like, no he, square. I was like, is he kind of the is he kind of the steadying actor? Because because that's how these things are written. Like they don't drop in and say, here's who's who. I get on the phone with Kiri Hart or with Kathy Kennedy or with Gareth. And I say, like, okay, well, what's this guy's name? And then they tell me, and I'm like, okay, well, what's his job? Well, he's a rebel intelligence officer, you know, and they describe a little bit of what he does. He's seen some combat. All right, well, he's kind of balancing Jin. Does that mean he's, he's sort of like, uh, you know, he's the good cop? He's by the numbers? And then Kiri was like, well, he's not square. So I just kind of stole that. <laughs> he's no square. <laughs> you don't hear that very often. I love that. Um, <laughs> he's a groovy rebel. <laughs> Baboon ass. Baboon ass. Baboon ass. Baboon ass. That's one heck of a remix. Oh, Just you. waiting, to, waiting to happen. Just on the fly. That that's a, a um, an instant request for Bresnikin. <laughs> Bresnikin. <laughs> so uh, when you, <laughs> you know, I remember Anthony, and you remember too. You know, as a kid, we would we'd be introduced to new Star Wars characters. Uh, on a on a Kenner you know action figure card or on a on a trading card uh, before the movie. I mean, what a responsibility you have! No pressure, but to introduce these characters to the world, and you're the one that's doing it. I love I love that. You know, when when the Force Awakens was coming out, I remember they put that trailer out at Thanksgiving, and uh, and but they didn't identify who anybody was, and so we were all calling them like the Ball Droid and the the. <laughs> The, the the stormtrooper like we didn't know is that guy a real stormtrooper or is he not a real stormtrooper what do we call him and uh, and uh, you know I loved how JJ revealed the news of the character names by putting them on those tops trading cards oh yeah you know? that's right that was fun yeah that was my first big that was my first big uh, sort of scoop and yeah. and uh, and big story on the Force Awakens was, I got a call from from those guys one day and they were like hey we have this thing we're gonna, we're tired of people calling it the Ball Droid it's been two weeks. Are you interested? And I was like, hell yeah. But all they had was the was the information that would be JG didn't want to talk any more about what who the characters were. It just would say like Finn on the run, you know? Yeah. <laughs> rolling through the desert. Like it was just the names, no real character details. So it was kind of fun on this one to to break it out and 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 dive into uh, uh figure out who's who and and what their relationships are. And you know. Uh, another thing I am kicking myself over last week on your show, the uh, paroxysms you guys went through trying to pronounce cheer it, oh, <laughs> cheer it <yes>. in way, <laughs> you know? Oh, like, yeah. Is, is it cheer it? I would say it's, yeah, it's cheer it. The, the spelling C-H-I hyphen capital R-U-T came from me asking uh, Lucasfilm to clarify it because Everybody kind of pronounced it differently. <laughs> oh, oh, but, no, well, you know, Anthony, Han and Han and. But Anthony, so, yeah. Anthony, uh, I, the 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 actual well, thing we had last week, the information only gave the pronunciation on the last name, not the first name. I don't know if that was an error in the post, and it's in, since been corrected. No, but, I thought Imway was kind of obvious, but uh, yeah, 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 Jim. Not. What? I, I'm just. <laughs> I mean, saying. how many different ways can you say that? How many different ways can you say Chirut or Chirrut or whatever his name is? Chirrut. 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 I should have pushed back and said, don't you mean cheer, cheer, like C-H-E-E-R? 
Are oh, you? Oh, I was calling it Chirut. Was <laughs> but I'm pretty sure it's Chirut. I was, I, that sounds better than Chirut. I was I was calling him yeah. Chirac. I don't know. <laughs> Chirac, yeah, that's the spike. Chiran, Chirac. Um, well, it, it's no, you know, you were talking about it, you know how these characters were introduced to us in the past, and yeah. I, I just like, uh, you know, thank God for somebody like Pablo Hidalgo and the other members of the story group who come in. They look at the creature shop, and they take these characters who have no identity except. Like the almost like the horrible schoolyard bully nicknames that they used to give these creatures, like <laughs> Yak Face and right. know, Squid Face, Yak Head, you know, Walrus Man. And yeah. they, you know, he gives them real names like uh, Constable Zuvio, you know, and, uh, and, and th- oh, you know, we actually have some character names for these background characters instead of just, I don't know, what kind of animal does he look like? Ugh. I kind of prefer the the the. Let's call him Shrewface. Well, you know, <laughs> I prefer the former, actually. I I love the, you know. I call Constable Zuvio Squashface. You know, I have names for these guys. I mean, I guess nowadays, you know, everything's so politically correct, we can't get away with calling a hammerhead a hammerhead without getting Momon and Dawn seriously offended. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I get it. I get it, and it is it's it's a lot of fun. Um, some of the, you know the the devices they use to come up with these names. Isn't there a, a website where you can punch in your own name and it'll spit out your Star Wars name at you? Yeah, it's pretty much the same as the John Travolta name generator. <laughs> you remember <laughs> that when he was on the Oscars and he oh, yes. uh, <laughs> where he butchers, he'll butcher your name. Right, right, right. <laughs> Adina Menzel, yeah. Yeah, Adele Dazoo. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't like like Chevy Chase when he would make up a name and flip. Yeah, yeah, no, what's your, it's a drill to me. Yeah, Paul Manfredson. Manfredson. Um, you know, when you, we break down the characters, going back to the characters here, it, was there uh, is there one in particular, Anthony, that really kind of resonated with you that you like? Oh, that I mean, not that you have a favorite. We haven't seen the movie. You haven't seen the movie yet. At least we don't think you have. Um, but is there one character? you're like, I would keep my eye out for that guy or that girl, because that that sounds really interesting to me. What spoke to you? Hmm. You know, I am awfully curious about a director credit. I think. I'm always drawn to the bad guys and, and what motivates them, and, and I'm fascinated by them. So director Krennic is the mm. one that I'm, I'm most curious about. Yeah. But then, you know, there's Saw Gerrera. I mean, the, the, main, the main characters are obviously very interesting. Jin or so, and I think Cassian Andor, it's fair enough to assume that he's one of the leads. And, and, I, and I, like the, I like the whole ensemble. I'm intrigued by the whole ensemble, but I think I'm most curious about the bad guy. Yeah. Well, and the bad guy that everybody's talking about in the story that you you confirmed uh, is that Darth Vader is going to appear in the film. And that's something that's that, you know, it's been rumored. Um, but this was the first yeah. time that we heard it actually coming out of Kathleen Kennedy's mouth yeah. that Darth Vader is going to be. In it. And one thing that really surprised me, and I know it's probably a small detail, but given the long history that that Dave Prowse, you know, had um, with with the role uh, do you get a sense as to to why? Because you're very specific in saying that multiple actors are in the suit. Do you know? Yeah. Why that is in this case? Well, um, they were nervous about that, and I'm not sure why. And I had to kind of talk them into clarifying that for me. Mm-hmm. You know, because I said to Gareth, like he was talking about seeing 
doing those photo tests on Darth Vader and how you got to light him like a car. And yeah. I was so nervous. And I said, and I knew obviously at that point that uh, James Earl Jones was going to be back. But I said, well, who's in the suit this time? And he was like, well, it's Darth Vader. And then he had that fun story about going to a toy shop and, and, and it was, they had a celebrity guest, Darth Vader, and he came home and his mother told the neighbor that he met Darth Vader. <laughs> and the neighbor's reaction was, the real one. <laughs> and, his, and his answer was, no, the real one's in space. Yes. This is just an actor. <laughs> I love that. But, I, but then I, 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 you know, I came away and I was like, I, it was, I was sort of like Columbo. You know, I was like, yeah, I got one more question yeah, for you. you yeah, know? Yeah. Like, who's in the suit? Like, is there, is there a re- – I didn't want to say, uh, you know, Lucasfilm – is cagey about who's being in the suit because I knew right away that the the that the prequel fans would be like, it's going to be Hayden Christian. Sure, yeah, and yeah, right. That that was going to be just the automatic go to. So if it is, if they're if if they wanted to create a mystery, then create a mystery, and I would have been willing to go along with that. You know, I I, I don't want to spoil people's birthday presents. You know, like if it's under wraps, it's under wraps. Uh, yeah. Plot point. But I said, like, are you are you being deliberately mysterious, or maybe did you just not know who was in the suit for the test, the photo test, and didn't want to, you know, come off uh, as 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 being uh, out of touch, or or, or what, what's the story like? And it turns out just that they had different actors who did it doing different tasks. I don't know uh, what those whether uh, it's like you have a guy who fights, but Bob, wasn't it Bob Anderson was? Yeah, that's was, right. Was yep, the guy who did the stunts. You know, so he was. He was Darth Vader a lot of the time, and um, you know, uh, I think there was. Uh, uh, I think they finally they just said, "Yeah, it's multiple people," but we we don't want to say he's played by all these different people because then the fans are going to assume that he's in it like a whole lot. Yeah, and that's, that's I what I'm that concerned too. Yeah, so it was sort of like I think they just, you know, I think they use different actors for different. Maybe it's fighting, or maybe it's this guy's better at walking. I don't know. This guy looms a little larger, uh, but I don't. I believe them when they say he's used in the film sparingly. Yeah, and I, uh, I think it's just a case of they use uh, a couple of different people for it. You Do know, we know? like you know, if Do you we... have kids, you have a couple of different babysitters. It's <laughs> available. Hey, so Anthony, do we know of the identity of anyone in the suit? One of them is the stuntman that was uh, rumored. I forget his name at the moment. Uh, it doesn't come to mind, but um, but he's one of them, it's, I was told. Because like, I brought that up. I said, well, there's a report out there that this fellow was going to be in the suit. And they were like, yeah, he's one of them. Yeah. So um, yeah, it's, just, it's just a couple. All yeah, that means um, is that you, there'll, be a lot of, there'll be a lot of different lines at, the, at Comic-Con and, well, and Celebration <laughs> in the future for people to get their picture took with, uh, <laughs> with the well, well, right. I mean, I've got – look, I've got the autograph of the guy that did job of the Hutt's left arm. So, you know. <laughs> I, I, I think real quick – Maybe it was real kind quick, of like – Real quick, I, I, uh, I think sources are saying that British actor Spencer Wilding – does that ring a bell? That's Is, the one. That's the that's one. one. And, of course, we I have see. James Earl Jones returning as the voice. Yeah, Spencer Wilding is some kind of a ridiculously large person, so mm-hmm. he's going to be, you know, occupying the Darth Vader outfit. Definitely but six, I don't seven. Think, but he's not, he's not doing it alone. And, and at one point I asked, what, is it going to be like three toddlers uh, standing on each other's shoulders? <laughs> it's a little, it's the little rascals, right? It's Buckwheat, Spanky, and Alfalfa um, <laughs> wearing the trench coat. All, all I know is he, he's one of them. Yeah. Uh, I, I, you know, I for... I, the thought that crossed my mind was, are they going for, you know, the old, like the, the, the Muppet model where it's Darth Vader as himself? 
You know, Darth Vader just because, you know, it was the, the Muppet movies were always Kermit the Frog, Miss Piggy, Gonzo, etc. You know, is he becoming that type of character where, you know, you just don't want to be really talking about the man in the suit? Didn't work out real well the last time. Um, you, and, honestly, I, yeah. think, I don't think I'm speaking out of turn here. I think it's a case of it, maybe it sounds less special if you have multiple people doing it. So you kind of just something you don't want to really talk about, you know, like that. It's not like, it's not like you can just replace Darth Vader with anybody. Right. But I, I don't think that's the case. I think they have just a handful of, of, of actors who, who inhabit the suit. Hey, you know, in Iron Man or any of the Marvel movies where you got a guy in the mask running around, it's very seldom the actor that gets well, the that's true. top yeah. billing on the, uh, on the call sheet. Who's right. a, you know, running around in the uh, Iron Man suit. It's, no, it's, it's very rarely Robert Downey Jr. unless he's got the helmet off. So, right. it, it, you know, I, I think that's sort of a common practice in filmmaking is that, uh, it, you know, you have a stunt, a, a stunt actor or a physical actor playing the masked character. Right. And, and Dave Prowse was a stuntman. I mean, that's, mm-hmm. that was his, but he became the man who, you know, was Darth Vader. Uh, something, Anthony, that, uh, speaking of Vader, that I, I really uh, uh, was interested in the way you brought it out is Vader's role in the Empire. And you had quotes from uh, various folks there at, associated with the, with the mm-hmm. production, but he's kind of a, he's a bit of a mystery. And there was one line in there, it might have been from Kathleen Kennedy, but that basically the military arm of the empire is starting to figure out that there's like a darkness or a dark energy or a dark power source with the emperor. Yeah. And Vader's kind of this, this mystery. What, um, what more can you tell us? It reminded me, uh, I put everything I knew into the, into the, into the writing, but it reminds me a little bit of, of, Raiders of the Lost Ark and, you know, the, the, the Nazis in that trying to get their hands on occult items mm. and harness the power of them. Like, imagine in another galaxy, this fascist army, army, navy, marines, whatever they have. And uh, they have, uh, you know, you've got your military fighting force and your weapons and your sort of traditional tyranny. But then your ruler has this, you know, arc or this mysterious figure in black who is able to summon a, a kind of uh, supernatural power that that would kind of, uh, I don't know, maybe inspire some and terrify others and wonder what they're getting in with. It's, uh, I like that it's not strictly magic. And I, I feel like the Star Wars universe is, is moving more in this direction of characters who are unfamiliar with uh, with Jedi, with Sith, with the powers of the Force, and uh, are really just living their lives in a technological society. And, the, and then, uh, you know, underneath it all, there's this supernatural element. Rather than, I think the original trilogy was very, very supernatural heavy. You know, you followed Luke, he was learning how to be a Jedi. It was just sort of commonly accepted that even though these guys were extinct, this was something that uh, could be dealt with, except for Han Solo, of course, who thought it was a hokey religion. Right. But I think we're moving more and more. We see with Ray and Finn, like the, the, the other denizens of the galaxy don't really know if this is real or just story. Well, I think one of the words you use um, or is used in the story is that Vader's uh, part myth, yeah, too. Uh, and I love that. Something that never really resonated with me as far as the EU was that they, you know, it was like Darth Vader was just like this 
political character that would you know show up on campaign posters and that people were ridiculous writing ridiculous things like that. People were writing songs about him. I mean, it was just <laughs> it was ridiculous. I always thought that the Dark Lord worked in the shadows because that's so true to the nature of the Sith. So how Darth Vader becomes this like. Uh, you know, talk show guest. And uh, yeah, I mean, that's he's elevated to that status of celebrity. But in my opinion, I felt like Darth Vader was something of a nightmare for people. Like, you know, he, he didn't, he didn't exist on the real plane for most people and uh, who, who even knew who he was. So um, I, I, I hope to see that is something that's a little bit reinforced in rogue one provide us with the mystery of Darth Vader. You want me to provide you with the mystery? No, I don't want you. Hey, this is, okay. Hey, you know what, though? Lucasfilm provided you with a bunch of photos, and you had a great photo gallery, um, yeah. and uh, it looks fantastic in the magazine. Is there a moment, Anthony, where you receive these? How do you get them? Via email and stuff? And you're, you're looking at them, and you're like, oh, my God, I'm the only person in the outside world who are, who's seeing these new images from Rogue One. What's that like for you? Oh, well, the one that really struck me were the stormtroopers and the in the crystal blue water. I thought that was a really striking image, just beautiful in its composition and made, made me, um, you know, happy to see something that was a really different look for star Wars. And I, I really dug that. I thought those were some of the most beautiful shots were of the death troopers and the stormtroopers, the old school stormtroopers, uh, wading through that water. But what's I'm it like curious for you? What's going on there? I am too. I am too. And I wonder if there's Rathars underneath the surface there. I'd love to see that <laughs> myself. But I mean, what is it like, Anthony, to to get this information first and and have to sit on it for a, a certain period of time and be the only journalist out there who who's receiving this material? What, what's that like for you? Oh, it's nerve wracking. I mean, uh, if you get terrified of putting anything on your phone because you don't want to lose your phone. And then suddenly you've blown your story, you know, you've blown your coverage. So, uh, you know, we try actually not to pass things around too much, that there's a very limited number of people who see these things before they roll out. And they're, you know, I can't get into all of the cloak and dagger of it all, but uh, it's, you know, we go out of our way to make sure that it can't be found. You know, it was funny because last... I guess when the when the uh, I guess it was last spring when the DVD Blu-ray came out for Force Awakens, I got a bunch of pictures uh, from the deleted scenes that we were going to roll out as an exclusive reveal. But I asked for one in particular that was not it wasn't a deleted scene, but I asked for a shot from the movie, the shot of uh, Kylo Ren putting his helmet into that ashy table. That, yes whatever it was, some kind of cistern that had a bunch of ash in it. Because I asked JJ during that call, like, this, this was the fun thing about covering it for so long and so in-depth, is that, you know, by the time we had our 10th conversation about the Blu-ray with JJ, I could be like, I finally was able to, like, pull out a couple of random questions that had just been bouncing around my head for a while with, like, like, who was Constable Zuvio? Like, why did we get these <laughs> Thank like, you for that, by the way. Every time I see him swinging the on the pegs, I... And his his, his yeah. response to that was priceless. He goes, "Well, I would say, um, who, who, who is this guy again?" And I'm like, "Oh yeah." And, just, and then when I described him, he was like, "Oh yeah, yeah, that oh, he was a background extra." But I also said, "What was that 
Oh, actually, he brought it up because I said he was talking about how you edit and you change and, you know, you, know, you never know which scene you think you're going to need a scene and then you don't. And then you use it for a piece of something else. And I said, what was the piece that, that you used in something else? And he said, well, we shot this whole scene where Kylo is torturing Ray and he had his mask off the whole time. Uh, or I'm sorry, no, when he, it was when he was talking to Vader's helmet that he had his mask off. And then they decided, I, I believe it was during reshoots, speaking of, you know, some, I'm sure that's something you guys are going to want to bring up. I believe it was during reshoots that he decided, no, I want to keep him hidden until he takes the mask off for Ray. And so they reshot that and they um, had him keep his mask on while he was talking to the Vader helmet. But originally he took it off and he placed it into this table full of ash. And he said, when, when he was interrogating Ray, he took his helmet off. He, uh, you know, Adam Driver just set his helmet on a table and it looked really lame. So he wanted him to do something dramatic. So they inserted this shot from when he was in his own quarters, putting that helmet into the table of ash and that the ash was supposed to be his collection of the cremains of the people, the enemies he had slain and destroyed. And so uh, I thought that was pretty cool. <laughs> and I asked for a shot of it. And here's where I, I bring it back around to the security stuff. So I asked for a shot of it, and then we, we process our, vi- our, our photos and put them you know, into the system, and then I build my, my story around it. And I was going to save that for later, but because it was in a line with a bunch of gallery image, images we had, it didn't go up, it didn't get posted anywhere, but it was publicly accessible through our system. And one of the uh, one of the movie websites ended up ha- putting it on their page when they when they looted all the other photos and text that I had put out, and I, I you know that itself kind of is uh, you lame, know not lame. the coolest. It's not the yeah. coolest thing in the world. Like if you, if people want to if sites want to grab a couple pictures and, and and pull some quotes about some newsy items and then throw back to us, I love that. I'm grateful for that. I try to do that for other people when they get scoops. But when you just sort of grab everything and put it on your site, there's no reason for anybody to come back to our page. And you've really yeah. stolen our lunch money, you know. So, <laughs> um, But yeah. anyway, I was kind of like, I reached out to the writer of it and I was like, hey, you know, how'd you get that picture? Because we didn't post it. And then he explained, oh, well, we were just kind of going down a line and you can follow. If you just keep adding numbers or something, we found this one on your server and uh-huh. just thought it's okay to use. And they were cool about it. They took it down, and, and then I used it later for my post explaining the ash table. But, um, but that was a case of, yep, you know, now we don't put photos into the system until we're ready to post them. We don't put them in in advance. And so there's, uh, there's a, lot of, uh, a lot you do to kind of s- save the surprise. It's a lot like being a parent. I don't know, you guys got kids? Oh, yeah. of course. Yeah, it's a lot like being a parent and hiding the Christmas presents or the birthday presents. Because you know if they find them, they're going to poke a hole in it, peel it a little back, and they're going to figure it out. So it, it's not like we're trying to hold anything back from anybody. But, you know, we, just, we, make, we make arrangements with uh, the studio to follow a certain embargo and we just try to honor it and of try course to it well you're a professional nice. you're a professional and yeah. a lot of people on the internet they don't understand things like journalistic integrity and protocol and ethics so I, I like, do, you, do you like how that one story about security ended up becoming five stories about constable zuvio and the ash table and jj uh, <laughs> abrams and then uh the, then then my opinion piece on uh, on 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 the ethics of uh, looting other people's reporting <laughs> i call it i call it bellocking that's the term i try to <laughs> for it 
There is nothing that you could possess that I cannot take away. <laughs> Belosh. Hey, you know what? Yes. <laughs> Anthony, Anthony, you brought up the R word. You said it reshoots. And yeah. so let's let's get a little taste of what your analysis is of these Rogue One reshoots. We've been hearing way back since probably the end of 2015, maybe early 2016 this year, that Rogue One was essentially a war film, not necessarily a Star Wars film, but a war film and it needed to yeah. it needed to have more of the elements that make Star Wars Star Wars and specifically those elements that were placed into the foundation via J.J. Abrams and The Force Awakens. So what do you take of the fact that we're going through four weeks of reshoots here for Rogue One right in the middle of the summer, a mere six it's months actually, before the film comes it's, out? It's five weeks from what I've heard. Oh. And um, yeah, and, uh, of course, other people report eight weeks or nine, nine weeks. I, I think there have been some – the, the reports are all over the place in terms of, uh, you know, how long the reshoots are, what's being reshot. And uh, I don't mean to throw any kind of shade at anyone else's reporting. I, I, their sources are their sources, and I, mine are mine, and you've got to trust your sources. I don't know that anybody's making anything up. Um, but yeah, I mean, I was concerned about the reshoots thing. And you're right. We've heard this build as a war movie. I think going back even earlier to uh, Celebration last year, that's kind of that's basically how they described it as a soldier story, a, a, a band of brothers kind of story. Uh, and that was back in March of last year. Uh, so I would say, yeah, that was how they committed to it. And fans were really anticipating it. And then you got these reshoot stories that said they were adding humor and that they didn't want it to be too dark. Now, um, I don't doubt that either, but there's a difference between adding humor and not making the movie dark and serious anymore. So what? I, before I tell you my opinion on it, I just want to say, you know, I've written two sizable stories about this subject, and the first one was all sourced, you know, anonymous sources, because the people talking to me have restrictions placed on them they can't be in public talking about this movie they're working on uh but they began i think they were willing to open up because the uh, rumors were so out of control you know that it was at a certain point where you, you don't want to comment on your movie you're just going to do keep your head down and do your job and then when it turns into a brush fire where people are just making i i think it just got really extreme the the the, the rumors and every rumor that somebody heard suddenly uh, became activated. So what? You know, what, by, what is an example? Some of these reports. So, so you had the, the New York Post saying that there had been test screenings and that Disney executives were uh, unhappy and they were forcing Gareth to to reshoot and make it a lighter romp. Uh, that I don't. I don't buy. I think they went back for reshoots. Reshoots uh, are, and it is not spin to say this, are standard on every major blockbuster type movie. Any big budget movie schedules reshoots for later in the the production cycle post edit. Uh, I challenge you to find one movie this summer that didn't have reshoots in some capacity. And as I said, The Force Awakens had a couple of, had several weeks of reshoots. I don't know if uh, the the full total on uh, how it compares to this one, but it had many weeks. And you know, Finn and Ray were reshot. There was a lot of activity between them and banter between them that was reshot the joke talk about adding humor to the to the story you know the joke uh that that poe says to kylo like well who talks first do i talk first you talk first that was added 
some elements of uh, the Han Solo Kylo Ren scene were added later. Again, you watch the movie, you see the stuff you have, and you realize, damn, it's not that this is bad or in trouble. It's just if we had an extra shot right here, um, that would just make it so much more delicious, right? Or that would make it so much more impactful. And so to do that, you know, you might do, uh, I don't know, let's say eight or nine setups in a day if you're hustling it. If you're Michael Bay, you do 15. But like setups meaning position the camera, rearrange the lights, bring your actors in to shoot the scene from a different angle. Uh, But if you're just doing a little part of that scene, you're going to still spend the whole day, right? Because you've got to bring in your cast and crew. You've got to have your set and your your lighting and your sound and everything set up as if you were going to do eight setups, but you're really only going to do one or two. So when we hear about multiple weeks of reshoots, unless it's basically one actor reshooting everything for nine weeks, the way Brad Pitt did for World War Z, it's, it's, pretty, it's pretty standard. That doesn't mean that the movie was perfect by any means. It just means they wanted things that they didn't get the first time around. And I believe them when they say it wasn't tested for uh, screening it wasn't screened for test audiences, rather. Yeah. Um, and I believe them when they say that very few executives at Disney have seen it. That doesn't mean those executives didn't have opinions. It just means you don't have all of Disney's management and consumer products and different uh, divisions of the company weighing in. When they had their trailer for Celebration, I, I was told four people, four or five people at Disney had seen the trailer before it was shown uh publicly Mm. you know and even the night before that celebration panel the cast had not seen it they passed around a laptop that was secured not connected to the internet and everybody put on earphones and watched the trailer for the first time i gotta tell you anthony Anthony, we were in that room that six thousand seat arena in anaheim at the anaheim convention center we were in there the night before that opening mm-hmm. ceremony that, that you did such a great job of hosting and everything. And, uh, you know, it seemed like the security surrounding that was, was super locked down. It was really locked down. And still, you know what, they ran it. They had to run it on a projector to test it, you know, to make sure the sound and all was going to work. And somebody had recorded the audio. So at that dinner the night before, there was a little bit of a negative vibe at one point because they realized, oh, crap, it leaked online, oh, the audio. No. From the thing. It was really poor audio, and it was hard to discern what was being said, except pe- some people had made the connection that it was the dialogue from Return of the Jedi. But there was, it was kind of like a bummer, man. We kept this thing locked down, and then the one time we tested just to make sure the camera is going to work, Ah, oh, somebody recorded the audio. Wow, that's but, um, amazing. They were talking about my audio at that dinner. Whoops. Oh. <laughs> was that you? Whoops. You nodded yourself. It wasn't you, was it? No, no, you know what? It wasn't. I, I do have a confession to make, though. We did see concept art of Finn in costume uh, projected on the screen. And uh, Jaws hit the floor. But uh, we, that was the only thing we saw, and we kept our damn fool mouths shut about it. <laughs> but yeah, uh, we were walking through it. Uh, there were people in the in the arena, and I don't know, you know. I, at that point, it's like okay, even if it leaks, um, you know, we got to go out 
we're going to roll it out for the world tomorrow. So they weren't too concerned. It, was, it wasn't like it had leaked two weeks early and ruined it for everybody. Um, but, um, you know, sometimes people are going to guess their birthday present. Like I said, that just happens. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. In all the, uh, Anthony, everything that's been released and all the coverage that you've given us on this, what, what's been the one thing that uh, really surprised you about well, this movie as a, as a, as a fan? I'm happy to answer that, but before we do, I want to ask you guys your opinions about the reshoot situation because, um, you know, I feel like there's a lot of anxiety about this out among the fandom. And, and like I said, I had done this early report where I talked to people who worked on the movie and they talked anonymously and they sort of gave me the lowdown about Tony Gilroy coming in to direct some second unit stuff and, uh, you know, that, that, that it wasn't – they weren't changing the tone of the movie but that they were, you know, maybe adding some levity here or there. I think uh, the reception to Batman versus Superman may have scared a lot of studios. Wow. You know, like we don't want to mm-hmm. be those guys and be mm-hmm. too heavy. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, but that doesn't mean they're changing the movie to make it not a war movie. Band of Brothers and Saving Private Ryan had humor in them. You know, mm-hmm. there was actually a lot of humor in them. Sometimes Absolutely. Uh, Gallo's humor. But I think then when I finally got a chance to talk to Kathy and Gareth, and I put the question to them, like, what did you want to change? We can't know plot necessarily, but what elements do you want to change? It matched up. You know what I mean? It matched up with what I'd heard elsewhere. And it made sense to me. But, I'm, but I still see doubters who are like, oh, no, he's, he's spinning it for the studio. And it's like, all I can do is awkwardly ask them like, to explain <laughs> this thing that they'd really rather not talk about and then tell you what their answer is. And I think, guys, it would have been eye-opening to me if they said no that's a misinterpretation it's not really a war movie it's a star wars movie with a war element like they could have gone that direction if they were changing the tone of the movie but instead kathy says no we're sticking the way we described the movie last year is how we're sticking with it this is the way it was pitched to me by john Knoll, and we are gonna it's a it's a war movie now that doesn't mean it's it's uh uh, Apocalypse Now or Platoon, you know, but it's it's a Star Wars war movie, and I think they they doubled down on that when I think that was the opportunity to change and tell people, no, expect something different, because you don't want to lie to people and tell them they're getting a, a a Star Wars soldier story when really they're not. So I tend to believe that because they could very easily have changed gears. But what do you guys think? Do you feel like they're spinning it or do you find what they say you know believable now this is something we've talked about an awful lot on the show and jason i hope you don't mind i'm going to just spout out my opinion right now and then go for it you know um we we've been hearing things too uh from our sources and um and and they tell us that yeah you know it's an honest effort to create a new type of genre star wars film Mm -hmm. the gritty war film a.k.a. Private Ryan in a galaxy far, far away. But when the box office success of The Force Awakens established such a solid foundation for the future of Star Wars, you want your follow-up film to sort of share a, a vibe that seems uh, familiar, at least, with the vibe that was established in TFA. Now, I'm not saying that they are going to abandon the gritty war film that we've been promised. And as you have 
so aptly uh, provided analysis for the decisions to to maybe add some levity to it without stripping it from that war drama that we're expecting. But yet mm-hmm. it still needs to remain a Star Wars film. And the, the important elements that were set in place by J.J. Abrams or even going back to George Lucas, a lot of people forget that the original Star Wars certainly had tons of humor in it. Tons of humor in it. Laugh it up, fuzzball. You know, right. uh, get this big walking carpet out of my way. I'd Just, rather kiss a Wookiee. I can arrange that. Even You know, all that stuff. Hilarious stuff. And, I mean... You know, it's not like, you know, drop to the floor, side splitting, uh, night at the Apollo humor, Def Con, Def, <laughs> what is it? Def Jam, Comedy Jam, <laughs> but. Def Con, yeah. Comedy Jam, Def I like Con, it. Def Con. <laughs> Def Con, <laughs> Def Con, we're at Def Con 7. But, you know, it's, it's, there are these elements that, and especially since you talk about how you have to appeal to that mainstream audience and not necessarily the diehard fans. I think that the priority for the the heads of Lucasfilm and Disney for that matter is to appeal to that mainstream fan. And if you throw them such a curveball after the massive worldwide success of the force awakens, it might confuse the regular star Wars fan. And I think that they're sensitive about that and without stripping all the dignity and all the integrity away from the film and turning it into something that it wasn't originally intended to be, Instead, they're looking to bolster it with some of those familiar vibes and tones that make Star Wars what it is in the year 2016, post-TFA. So I yeah. think that's what's going on here. Yeah, I, I think that's legit. No, I, I would never say that they were totally happy with the, the movie as it was. Uh, they, From what I've heard, they wanted to change things. And what Gareth said made a lot of sense to me is we had planned to shoot some stuff. We had scheduled things for April, but then they did this edit and they were trying to figure out, okay, we feel like maybe it needs a punch up here. Maybe it needs a punch up there. Maybe it needs a little more emotion. And then they took the time, they postponed the reshoots and took the time to write some new material. Uh, one source told me it was a lot of talking in cockpits, which I thought was a funny way of putting it, you know, that they're not reshooting whole sequences. They're no, no. doing inserts. Right. And, character beats, you know, character beats, things to establish yeah. chemistry. And also explain some things that sometimes people watch a movie and you're so deep into it as the right. creator, the writer, the director, the producers that you don't realize people are lost by a right. certain plot point. Like, oh, what? why was that again? And so now they're adding a couple of little moments to you know, make it clear what's happening in the story. I don't know what that means. That's just the explanation I got. Oh, but that's an element that's, that's totally present in most reshoots is to add additional exposition to bring the audience into what the story is really all about. Right. What do you make of this though? Do you agree with me? I feel like there's a zeal among some reporters and, you know, bloggers, uh, what have you to, really they i almost feel like they're really eager to believe the worst uh, i don't see how you can buy that a movie of this scale is going to reshoot half of its material and still be ready by september like one source uh, i remember ta- tell, told me like if that, if that, they were like laughing at this they were like if that was the case we would be canceling our release date in december and pushing to may 
you know, at the, yeah. at the earliest, if that, like, there's no way we could do this. Well, uh, I, I think that zeal, I think that zeal comes from, you know, there is an element to uh, the media, both, both mainstream media and new media that, you know, the, the, the bigger they are, the harder they fall. And in mm. Star Wars is riding a, a great wave and they want to be the ones to say, yeah, see, we knew it. We knew it. It was uh, too, you're the, not the so last. Great. Yeah. Yep. Star Wars. Yeah. Big tank. Uh, you know, you see it with, with the Marvel films. I mean, how qu- quickly um, they're apt to, um, you know, come out and say, oh, you know, Ant-Man, it's a big failure. Big flop. Everybody hated it. You know, and that's, that's not really the whole story. So I think they want to, you know, vent, you know, maybe someday they'll be right, but um, they haven't gotten it right so far. Um, uh, they say about a stopped clock. Like, that's yeah, what I couldn't right. figure out is like it sounded to me like a lot of people hearing things from friends of friends whose cousins worked on the movie or said they did. What's that? Uh-oh. Did we lose Anthony? I think we did. Hopefully he can come back. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you, this is this is a great conversation, though. This is really fantastic because yeah. he's, yeah. you know, he's he's really opening up, which is, which is nice. You know, he's not holding yeah. back on his analysis for fear of revealing anything, which only tells me that he is reporting everything he knows. Yeah, you know? yeah, that, that's, he's not that's holding true. back. President. Okay, hold on one second. All right, you know, Jason, it might take us a few minutes to bring Anthony back online. So let's just take a quick break and then we'll uh, follow up with more Anthony Bresnik in talking Rogue One. Rebel Force Radio, your source for the Force. Rancho Obi-Wan is home to the world's largest Star Wars memorabilia collection, as recognized by the Guinness Book of World Records. Become a member of Rancho Obi-Wan right now to get exclusive access to tours of Rancho Obi-Wan hosted by Steve Sansweet, invites to special events, and more. Plus, you can also make a difference and help Rancho Obi-Wan grow with a simple donation of $1 or higher. Visit RanchoObiWan.org now to get the latest news, become a member, or make a donation. RanchoObiWan.org. Zebra Imaging, creators of the most advanced and innovative digital holographs in the universe, are now bringing technology from a galaxy far, far away home to fans. Presenting Zebra's Star Wars 3D Holograms. At last! Incredible three-dimensional collectibles featuring memorable characters and moments from the Star Wars saga. Choose from the Death Star Trench Battle, Kylo Ren, Han Solo and Carbonite, and R2-D2. Help me, Obi-Wan With many more coming soon. Visit rebelforceradio.com right now and click on the Zebra Star Wars 3D Holograms banner. This will take you directly to their website. Zebra Star Wars 3D Holograms. Start your Star Wars hologram collection today. Visit rebelforceradio.com and click on the Star Wars 3D Hologram banner. Impressive. Hey, guys. Oh, there he is. Oh, sorry. I I, I don't know. The connection dropped out. It sure did. Just... Yeah, just fell out. We were talking about um, you said something about like relatives working on the film or something. Hmm, relatives working. Yeah, you on were the talking film. about you know people who get inside information from yes. a relative who's working on the film, et cetera. Oh, oh, yeah. I said there's some sites that have like I don't know. They're hearing it. I'm just saying they're hearing it through a game of telephone. You know, my co- you know my cousin's brother's uncle's nephew said that the that he heard something about it. You know, it's they're picking it up from. Somebody who said, oh, he was the UPS man who delivered a script, and he heard, you know, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Yeah, the sketchy. Uh, again, sketchy. Again, I don't want to throw too much shade at people, but, uh, but I noticed that some of the sites that seem least connected 
are the ones who are most uh, fiery in their denunciation of other people's reporting with primary sources. So anyway, everything, all I can do is say, I'm going to ask the people who know, and I'm going to try to filter out what I believe and what I don't believe, uh, see what makes sense to me, and then I'm going to pass it along. And, uh, you know, I think when people hear something that's reassuring or not as bad as the rumor, they immediately think either uh, they breathe a sigh of relief or they think, oh, it's spin. And it's, I don't know. What, I guess people are just going to believe what they believe until they see the movie. But yeah. even then, I think sometimes your opinion is colored in advance by, uh, by how you played your cards months yeah. before the film opened. So many people, hating, are, now, they're all skeptic. Reason, yeah, you're going to find a reason to hate it eventually. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, you know, I guess, I, I, I think the point I was making is sometimes with Star Wars, you have a really intense fan base and uh, you have an equally intense hater base, even if it's a smaller group. Uh, Anthony, you did uh, re- raise an interesting question. Mm-hmm. Um, I think this did this hit uh, today or yesterday about the, the crawler and should Rogue One have the traditional uh, Star Wars crawler? And, and Kathleen oh. Kennedy confirms that that hasn't been decided yet. They're still talking yeah. about it, right? I think they're experimenting with it to see, should we have it? Do we absolutely need it? That might be the kind of thing they test, not with maybe an audience, but just with the, the brain trust or, or, or trusted other filmmakers when they get a chance to start screening it. I don't know exactly, but, but when you experiment like that, usually you want perspectives of other people on it. And uh, I wouldn't panic if, like I, I saw some pickup of that report of mine, that was like, guess what's not going to be in Rogue One? <laughs> <I'm> like, <laughs> That's not what she said. I mean, not her, at all. She yeah. answered my question, which was, are there any tropes of Star Wars? The wipes, the, the music, the, um, you know, the crawl at the beginning that you don't want to use? Or will all those things be present because that's Star Wars? Or are you trying to set the film apart in any way? And she said, you know, I don't want to say for sure what we're going to do because I'm not I'm not, we're not, we're talking about it. We're trying to figure that out and they have time to figure that out. They expect a lock picture in, uh, I think it's late September, which is about three weeks before the force awakens locked. So, um, make of that what you will. You know, one of the things that I was thinking of, and I think Jimmy answered the question very, very well. And I'm, I certainly, uh, I, I agree with his analysis of, of, of the reshoots. But another thing that I, I think is important to point out, and you do in this piece and, and, and throughout is that, you know, they're, they're establishing something brand new with this film. This is not yeah. just another Star Wars movie. This is, you know, you talk about the tropes and the Star Wars-isms and all that. Well, that's also what they're going to be creating for this movie. And the Han Solo film is going to come after. So they're really setting a template for these mm-hmm. standalone films. So, you know, perhaps they know more now. Well, certainly they know more now about what's coming down the line than they did when they started out. So they could be trying to, you know, lay some groundwork to create some symmetry with what's coming, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, in the next films. So that makes a lot of sense to me. Like young Han Solo. Totally. I think they're trying to figure out what, how to designate these films as Star Wars, but separate from the saga and how much they have to be separate. Yeah. Um, I do want to mention, um, Anthony, and we want to, you've been so generous with your time, um, but you did do a, um, a piece about Mon Mothma 
And so for any, yeah. everyone out there that is, you know, perhaps maybe a little disappointed that Darth Vader is going to be used sparingly, although Kathleen Kennedy does say he shows up at one point in, in a big way. Um, but Mon Mothma has a, a, a larger role than what we might glean from her being cut from Revenge of the Sith and, yeah. and the trailer. She, she plays a pretty uh, major part in this. I don't know if I would go as far to say major because uh, I, I just wouldn't want to characterize it too too much like that. She does say you get more story from her than you ever got before. She just had the one scene in Return of the Jedi, and I think in this she she's and this is me grasping at the air here, but like she seems to me more like the police lieutenant. You know, where you come in and it's like, <laughs> yeah. McGonagall, you're, you're a loose right. cannon. Like, <laughs> at, the, she's, like at the beginning of Hill Street Blues when the guy would always say, now be careful out there. And then they'd all leave and you wouldn't see the guy again for the rest of the episode. <laughs> she seems like the chief, you know, yeah. and I, I uh-huh. suspect that, you know, she's the strategist. She's the general Leia of this movie. So, yeah. uh, you know, we'll get a little bit of her. I I I I always think of her as like the mom of Star Wars. That if you were a kid when Star Wars came out, when Return of the Jedi came out, like didn't she just seem like a mom? She yes. had the mom haircut. Yes. She's walking around <laughs> in a caftan, you know, like <laughs> yeah, yeah, the house dress. Uh, yeah, she got the, know, that, that's true. She's got the pearls on like June Cleaver. She, but she's definitely the diplomat, you know. In the in and in the piece, it points out that you know she's kind of the one trying to hold these disparate groups together. And that's one of the things that we talked about last week was, you know, we have this growing up as part of the original trilogy generation. We have this, uh, this thought of, well, it was, it was the black hats versus the white hats. It was the good guys and the bad guys. And there was unity on both sides and all this. And what we're finding out is that, you know, this was, this really is a ragtag group of disparate, uh, disparate uh, and, um, you know, individuals and, and groups that are you know coming together for a, a common cause that they might look like they're all part of the same army, but they're, they come from a lot of different places. All right. You guys have inspired me, uh, you know, with that comment, I'm going to drop something on you that I know that I didn't end up reporting. So you can count this as a rebel force radio exclusive. Nice. <laughs> <All> <laughs> but right. Like stinger. Um, we need a stinger on that. I was trying to, I, I think this came from Gareth, uh, but I was talking to him about the, the characters and, and, and how Krennic relates to the empire and how, how the various stormtroopers uh, serve the empire and Vader, obviously Vader, and then, but also the rebels, and we were talking about finding that gray area in in the characters. That sometimes, like Saw Gerrera, he's doing things for the right cause, but he's doing terrible things, destructive things, maybe evil things. And they suggested to me that, and it was just a suggestion. I don't have any idea which character this attaches itself to, but that that some characters are not just gray, but they're not as light or dark as you think they are, which leads me to think there might be a traitor at some point in the story, but who Mm. I don't know. That's just something to chew over. It was hinted at. We'll see if it manifests itself in the film, but, uh, but that was suggested by, by Gareth that, that sometimes the characters are not exactly how they would like the other characters. All right. My first prediction, Bodhi Rook. You think Bodhi is a traitor? (laughs) Mm. I don't know. I'm not even going to, I'm not, my, my, <laughs> Jimmy's I, calling I, it already. Hey, I just want, you know, some sort of recorded evidence here. So when the film is released and the traitor is revealed to that, because he's surly, he's sort of described as the cranky one. Well, you know, you, you want to know, 
It's because mm. I was looking very closely at your photo gallery at EW.com, and I looked on his, his shoulder patch is that of the Empire. He has the Imperial cog on his shoulder patch. Why? Why? Hold up. What? I am telling you. I'm not seeing things. Bodhi Root. Um, <laughs> EW.com. I'm, I'm punching it right now. Uh, let's see here. This was in the the character gallery, the black and white. I images. just punched in EW.com, and the headline is EW Reporter Fired because he appeared on a podcast. What's this all yeah. about? Yeah. <laughs> Scroll down, <laughs> and there's the your photo. Song. Your photo's right there. No, here, I'm gonna, I have to find this uh, photo. Look at the picture of Bodhi Rook. He's a very wide-eyed in the shot. Uh, it's in the exclusive 16-image gallery featured on EW.com. And uh, I'm going to try to find it, and then I'll just send it to you guys. But uh, I can't believe I'm the only one looking at these photos here, fellas. Uh, you know, do your homework. Um, <laughs> <laughs> all right, there's, there's, you know, Anthony only cares about Krennic and a bunch of troopers in the ocean. <laughs> Uh, I, I, you know, I'm looking deep here at these photos, fellas. And Bodhi Rook, if you look, he's his shoulder patch is clearly that of the Imperial Cog, uh, surly pilot Bodhi Rook. He's a very experienced pilot. The one where he's like, it looks like he's in the cockpit somewhere. Oh, you're right. You are. Oh, you were onto something there. He is wearing. That's an Imperial <laughs> Cog, my friend. What kind of rebel wears the insignia of the enemy? Well, I'll tell you what the trader does, Bodie. So uh, but, I'm, I'm. But if going you're to... a trader, but if you're a trader, why would you wear the insignia of the enemy? Because because well, this... why not just walk around with a with a with a name tag that says "Hello, my name is uh, is uh, is traitor." T R A T. Yeah. Uh, this is this is before he went through the wardrobe change to fit in with the uh, with the uh, rebels that he had infiltrated. This is right before they discovered him, and then he threw on a Rebel Force Radio T-shirt to cover it up. <laughs> But, uh, but no, that's not mine. That's not mine. I don't know where that came from. Yeah. What's this? It's where did that come from? But, uh, yeah, Bodhi Rook, he is the traitor and that's, that's, that's my exclusive for you, Anthony. Well, how, what a fine, how do you do? I am (laughs) so disappointed in myself for not noticing that. Wow. There it is. Clear as a bell. The Imperial cog being worn proudly by the traitorous. (laughs) Bodie Roof. <laughs> all right, you know. one, one, one last question. Speaking of all these photos, uh, why do you suppose no production shot of Mads Mickelson? Uh, we got production shots of everybody else, but you're, you, we were had we had to run his, uh, uh, pub, you know, his his headshot instead. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, we asked for that. We wanted mm-hmm. it, and they said, "No, not yet. We're not ready to do that." Um, they held back on other characters. Like we never saw Maz Kanata or Snoke until after in official capacity until after the movie was released, right. you know? Right. And, um, I always thought this cause that, that they didn't get them finished in time. Uh, I don't <laughs> think that was the case. Uh, but like, uh, I don't agree with hundred percent with your p- police work there, but, uh, <laughs> that was, that, but I, uh, let me say this. I hope that that's not actually a shot of Mads as he appears in the film. Yeah. Cause he's just sporting some, uh, you know, flannel shirt there. Yeah. <laughs> flannel shirt guy in star Wars. He, you know, I, my guess is that, uh, because he is 
it sounds like he's estranged or missing yeah. or being pursued that they're not showing him because that's kind of a reveal of the movie is that you mm. don't want to you don't want to give away the thing that everybody's looking for. It's just kind of like where's Luke, you know, that, that you know, where Luke is, is the answer to the movie. So we're not going to tell you in advance. Right, right. Or that he looks like a homeless guy. Up on yeah. top of the mountain. Well, <laughs> Anthony, you've been, like I said, very generous with your time. We, we so appreciate you coming on the program and uh, legitimizing us with your... Um, Are you kidding me? I, I was so happy to hear you guys talking about uh, the report last week because you guys are such great fans and good broadcasters, you know, funny. When you start doing the... Uh, <laughs> what was the line I said made it sound like car talk? <laughs> Bigs! Bigs. Yeah, when you guys start yelling bigs at each other, it's just like <laughs> I was rolling. But um, but I re- I love you guys. I think you really uh, you you really bring a lot of enthusiasm and passion and skepticism. And you're you're hard judges, but you are generous. I think the the the, the enthusiasm you bring, and I know your listeners share, is really the the kind of thing I'm trying to tap into when I write about these these things these stories are for you for you guys and for your listeners and it makes me really happy after a kind of crappy summer of really dismal awful news to have brought <laughs> yes. something that you know makes people happy and and you know I didn't make star wars but I'm happy to be the kid handing out the the birthday presents and the the christmas presents if oh, you will absolutely. playing elf and and you know but it helps a lot when I'm staying up till three or four in the morning to write these things and I'm, and I'm racing to get new stories done during the day and people are like on Twitter, like, Hey, where were you said this was coming out? Like, where is it? It's like, okay. It's like having everybody be your editor. Yeah. Right. But like really, you know, those, when we roll out these covers and I'm putting out all these stories, it's a busy week and it's taxing and exhausting. But when I hear you guys laughing about it, having a good time, and 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 I and I know the the readers and your listeners are too. Like, man, it just makes me feel so happy. So thank you for passing that energy back to a guy like me, who's you know in the trenches trying to deliver some Star Wars news. Oh, well, that's awesome, Anthony. Thank you so much for all the hard work you do. I mean, really, it's it's uh, so much fun to read your coverage and to see your videos. Specifically, the one I'm talking about was released this week. You and Steven Spielberg, of all people, yeah. riding a golf cart around the Universal Studios back lot as Steven Spielberg gives you a personal tour and tells you about his history growing up at that studio and all of the experience he had working there. I, I told you, Anthony, I, I love the video and I hate you for having such an amazing <laughs> gig. <laughs> Thanks. That was fun. That was, I have to say, that was a lot of fun when, when, when the BFG was coming out. I mean, it's out this weekend, but. As it was nearing, we were like, "Well, what are we going to do?" I've done a lot of interviews with him over the years, and uh, oh, it's you know, getting old. It's getting so old talking to Steven Spielberg. We got come up to with a twist. No, but yeah. I just mean, like, you know, I think I've done a. It's one of those cases where like ten years of work kind of pays off in that instance where you you pitch a crazy idea like, "Hey, would he be willing to take us around like his old stomping grounds?" I've heard these. You guys have probably heard these legends too. Like yes. he used to sneak into the lot. Yes. You know, when oh, he yeah. was a teenager, like, I don't know, is that real? And um, it was it was fun to say, would he be willing to ride around in a golf cart with us and maybe we'll shoot video of it? And he'd just tell me stories like my idea was seeing some of these places again and not just like the things that are part of the theme park, like the Jaws Lagoon. Obviously, he didn't shoot it at the Jaws Lagoon or he would never have had all those 
horrible problems <laughs> with the making of it. But like, I knew that driving around, like looking at old sound stages, would just conjure memories for him. You know, just like us. Like, if I ask you to tell me about yourself, you'll you have certain things you'll say. But if we drive around your hometown, you're going to come up with a million different stories. And I did this a few years back with Clint Eastwood on the Warner Brothers lot, where he has the same kind of history. Like he's been there for 40 years. So, um, you know, I remember driving around and he saw a soundstage. He was like, oh, yeah, we used to shoot there. I was shooting one of my early films and Elvis was next door. Oh. <laughs> and Elvis was a gun nut and he would come out and be like, let's do quick draw, Clint. You know, I was like, oh, my God, Clint Eastwood and Elvis Presley. Imagine driving by and there they are in the alley between sound stages doing a quick draw. And Eastwood's like, all right, because he's not a gun nut, believe it or not. And, you know, he's just sort of like playing along with Elvis. But like those kinds of stories I knew he would never bring up if we weren't in the location. So, you know, I pitched this idea. I expected to get a no thanks. And instead, Stephen said, yeah, OK, let's do it. And he was I thought he was really game. And, 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 and you know, he uh, he was a good sport about it. I was really happy to do it. You know, Steven Spielberg changes my stupid face. But, you know, I'm stuck with that. <laughs> hey, listen, you got a you know what eating grin throughout that whole video. <laughs> and nobody could could contain something like that. But what you brought out is Spielberg. He always comes off as being a very legitimate and authentic guy. But I think it was the most authentic I've ever seen Steven Spielberg. And it was absolutely wonderful. I recommend everyone listening to the show to check out this video. We posted it up on our Facebook page, Anthony Bresnikin on a private golf cart tour of the universal studios backlot. Amazing. That's the whole idea is like, do the, I do these things. And I, the only reason I get that access is, uh, you know, that uh, I I know lots of horrible scandals about these people and I blackmail them. <laughs> that's how, but, well, uh, that's how you got on this show. That's how I got on this show. Yeah. But no, really, the reason I get that is because I I I have readers and 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 guys like you who are willing to share that story. So thanks for bringing it up. And people want to check it out. They can go to ew.com slash Spielberg. It's really easy to find. ew.com slash Spielberg, and you can check it out. We we trimmed it down to like the ten minute tour. And, uh, you know, I, I, uh, it was a lot of fun to do. And I, I just like to think anybody, all you got, anybody out there who's been moved by his movies, like every, if you grew up in the past 40 years, this guy was a big part of your life one way or another. And, um, and I, I just like, like the idea of like taking a, a million people on that ride with us, <laughs> you know, just mm-hmm. that's the point is not so much, Oh, he's hanging out with me, but just that I, that you're my plus one or, you know, we're both going to go on the hop in this golf cart and drive around with the guy who told some of the best stories of our lifetimes. Yeah. Yeah. It just makes you love Spielberg so much more. He was funny. Yeah, he was great. I, he let me give him some crap, too. Uh, you know, it's, <laughs> it was, I was like, so, uh, you know, I, I don't know how many times I called him a trespasser in those videos, like sneaking onto the lot. <laughs> and then and then one of the things, because I edited the audio, I took, because it was like about an hour long trip that we trimmed down to 10 minutes, but I put the whole thing up on our, I have, I have a radio show myself on Sirius XM. So we put the whole thing on there. And at the beginning, he, I, we were joking about how I, I'm in a Spielberg movie, and he's like, "No, I'm in your movie," and I was like, "Oh, this is going to be your best cameo since uh, uh, the Blues Brothers." <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> suddenly I realized, "Oh, I'm giving Spielberg shit about the Blues Brothers." Like, come on. <laughs> tone it down. But, uh, but he's a good sport, you know. He's got a good sense of humor, and and I hope people enjoy checking out that video. Thanks for mentioning it. 
Yeah. Oh, it's unbelievable. Thank you so much for producing. And Anthony, you mentioned the uh, XM Sirius show. Uh, what's it called and what channel is it on? Oh, I'm, it's called Behind the Scenes. It's on Wednesdays at 6 Eastern, 3 Pacific, and reruns a couple times through the week. It's really like where I take, I just, it's like a reporter's notebook. Like I take audio of all my interviews and try to turn them into a little show and yeah, let people kind of hear the, hear, hear the interviews and, and give a little backstory to uh, the stories that we put out in the magazine and the website. That's great. And of course, if people want to get a hold of you on Twitter, at Bresnikin is the place to do it. You spell Bresnikin the same way you say it. And, yep. uh, and you got to cheer anything? it. Cheer it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Don't ask us about pronunciation. And uh, in, anything else going on, Anthony, that you want to tell us about? Well, yeah. I, actually, I'm a contributor to a new book that I think uh, your listeners may be into. Uh, it's called Last Night a Superhero Saved My Life. And it's a it's a collection of essays by people like Neil Gaiman and Brad Meltzer and Jamie Ford and Lee Bardugo. Uh, you, you know her work from uh, Shadow and Bone. And it's all stories uh, from people about how superheroes and comic book characters have changed their lives in some way. Hey. We're, we're there for them in an important moment. And I was really thrilled to be invited to be in that company. And uh, I wrote about my wife. Now, I, I, I wanted to tell a story about her and her big brother, Grant. She was a heart patient when she was a little girl, and he broke the Big Brother code of, of not hating his little sister by sharing his comic books with her. And she fell in love with Spider-Man and Wolverine, but mostly Iron Man, because he was the other hero who had a bad heart. So it was a story about big brothers and little sisters, about sharing your comics, about welcoming girls into the world that you know is often a, a boys-only club, and... Um, uh, hopefully, if people are interested in that kind of thing, they'll, they'll check out uh, Last Night a Superhero Saved My Life. I'm just one of like uh, 20 stories in there. Uh, but but uh, I'm really proud of the, the piece. It's, uh, it's about two people who I care about a lot, my wife and her big brother. And, uh, you know, if you guys, uh, if, if your listeners are into that, I hope they'll check it out. You know, that sounds great. I have a little sister. And maybe if I shared my comic books and Star Wars more with her when we were younger, she wouldn't refer to all of this as some kind of nerd thing. <laughs> That's right. See, you've, you've made an enemy for life. Oh, tell me about <laughs> it. You know what strikes me, guys, is whenever I do, like, when I did that celebration panel or when I, if I moderate something at Comic-Con, you look out in the audience, man, and, and like, you see, a lot, you see everybody's in costume, right? Lots of people in costume. But I'm always moved by people who have, like, they're in wheelchairs or they're on crutches or they got a cane or there's some, some physical disability that's holding them back. But they work it into their costume and it doesn't hold them back. And they take power from these characters. And this, this book, uh, Last Night a Superhero Saved My Life, is is about that phenomenon, about, you know, whether you're physically uh, disabled or whether there's some uh, emotional baggage that's weighing you down or, or just some, something in your life that's not going right. Like, these characters are, are a way of feeling strong. It certainly helped my, my wife when she was a little heart patient back when she was a kid. And uh, I think everybody, we all love Star Wars. We love comic book movies and superheroes because we get something out of it. We get strength. We get hope. And that's what it's all about. Sure thing. Is the book available now or is it just... It's out now, yeah. It's, you awesome. can order it on Amazon and, uh, and uh, find it in Barnes & Noble or wherever books are sold. Awesome. Anthony Bresnikin from Entertainment Weekly. Man, thank you so much. And hopefully we'll be, we'll be talking to you soon again. Uh, I'll be listening. Thanks all a right. lot, guys. Thanks, man. Bye-bye. 
Wow, what a great conversation with Anthony. You know it, you love it. From Tops comes the digital card collecting app, Star Wars Card Trader. Yes, collect and trade over 1,000 officially licensed Star Wars digital cards. All of your favorite characters, vehicles, and locations from the Star Wars universe are here, including replicas of those amazing and iconic original 1977 top Star Wars trading cards to futuristic all-new cards with exciting digital twists. And of course, you can find exclusive content from the all-time U.S. box office champ, Star Wars The Force Awakens. Download it today in the App Store or in Google Play. And of course, we're using the Star Wars Card Trader app here at Rebel Force Radio. You can always trade with us here 24-7, 365 days a year. Just search username Rebel Force Radio and do it all from the comfort of your mobile device. It's the Tops Star Wars Card Trader app. These are the cards you're looking for. All right, and with that, we're going to bring him on, our good friend, our brother in the force, Kyle Newman. Paging Kyle Newman. Hello. There he is. Newman. Newman. (laughs) Kyle Newman. What's up, guys? Hey, man, it's been a while. I feel like I haven't talked to you in ages. No doubt. No doubt. Better than the band. (laughs) That band. That band. That band. Uh, who was that? Was that uh, was that Christina? No, that was uh, Stefani. Gwen Stefani, right, right, the one with uh, with Blake Shelton now. Right? Yeah, isn't that isn't there? Th- is scandal. Well, you know what? Isn't it funny? It's always those country artists. You know, it was Garth and was Trisha. It was uh, it was uh, Amy Grant and what's his name? Vince Gill. Scandalous. Yeah. Those pop stars, Chris Christopherson and every woman. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? That dude? Really? I'm telling you. Awesome. Uh, in his prime? Are you kidding me? He's one of the original Highwaymen. I, well, I know. I know. But, you know. Wasn't I mean, he also a Rhodes Scholar? He was. He was. Uh, I, well, you know what? I get him confused with, uh, was it? Uh, it's Tommy Lee Jones that was so the roommate. Was Bill Clinton. Well, well and Tommy Lee Jones was was uh, roommates with um, Al Gore in college. And I, sometimes I get that confused, and I think it's Chris Christopherson. I don't know how we got here. I, we, actually, Kyle, you can talk about anything you want, but I, I do want to remind folks of uh, the one reason that you're here, and that's to talk about uh, your work in producing this fa- fabulous documentary called Raiders, the story of the greatest fan film ever made. And it's available now um it's it's playing in some theaters. There's a, there's a tour with the cast of the of the fifty eight uh, plus cities. They're go- they're going to. They've been to twenty four. The schedule's ever changing. You can see them. They're going to run in a Raiders bus. This brand new beautiful thing. They've got it decked out. They're selling all types of great Raiders memorabilia. If you've not seen the original film, it is a fan made shot for shot recreation of Raiders of the Lost Ark. These guys began this journey back in 1982 when they were 11 years old and they finished it last year finally. Um, it's this, this arduous, up and down, beautiful, heartwarming, inspiring, crazy, hilarious journey about these three best friends and their passion for filmmaking and and Raiders of the Lost Ark and Spielberg and Lucas and um, and it's just wonderful to see them 
get the credit that's due because they they are like the original fan film in a way. I, yeah. I, I mean, there's there's a couple of things, but on the scale that they did it with the resources that weren't available to them, the danger, the insanity, they're lighting <laughs> each other on fire, they're dragging <laughs> each other behind cars. So this is a documentary about their <laughs> story. It's about them back in the day with all real footage, 40, 50 hours of them as kids. Even when they weren't filming the scene, they'd let the camera roll so they were filming their actual childhood, uh, putting out the fires in their house, um, <laughs> and all the way up to when they reunite last year, raise some money on Kickstarter, and uh, reunited to go shoot the missing scene, which was the airplane scene with the German mechanic that gets you know chopped up in the propeller. Camel in it. It's out in the desert. Uh, they need a lot of money to do this as kids. They can pull it off. And they finally got together to do it. And um, so it jumps between these two worlds of them as children and them in the present. And uh, Jeremy uh, Kuhn and Tim Skousen, who are the co-directors, uh, did such a fantastic job. I couldn't be prouder of everybody involved because what I am most happy with with the movie is when you see it with an audience, even if you see it by yourself, it's impossible not to smile. It's infectious. It's fun. And you just get up and you just want to make a film. My friend brought his son to it. He was 11. He's the same age as these guys uh, when they started. And he left. And he's like, Dad, let's go remake Rocky. He's like, <laughs> I know what I'm doing all summer. You, you, it's, it's hard to not get just wrapped up in it because you just root for these kids. Yeah, and it's, they it's, don't so, know what it's doing. so inspiring. Uh, we actually got to talk to... Uh, them last year after the Kickstarter project and when the film was complete and you know I mean as interesting as the film itself is to see uh, I imagine that the story behind it is just as much if not more so it's got it has a legend to it you know they didn't realize what they had and it's and this is all in the film and it's also it was a Vanity Fair article it's the subject of a New York Times uh, bestselling book by Alan Eisenstock about the boys and, the, and their whole uh, journey, uh, and now it's in the documentary. So it's been around for a while, so I'm not really spoiling anything, but um, they had a falling out. They never finished it. They finished it to some degree, but never fully finished it. And um, life took over, adulthood took over, uh, puberty takes over earlier in the movie too, and there's a lot of comments competition and when girls come into the picture um and then later in life they're reunited when um you know well first eli roth found the film presented it to harry knowles at a buttonumathon uh and that kind of exploded their story onto the internet right when internet and ain't a cool news was taking off and um i knew eli back from the nyu days and i've known harry for a while and ernie klein is also uh interviewed in it and um jonathan reese davies uh sala is is in the doc it's it's just it covers a lot of ground and in a, in a really exciting and unique way and um they ultimately get to uh meet steven spielberg who's their idol and um their you know de facto mentor because they were just <laughs> copying everything he was doing emulating in their own way um which and reunites them after this uh long period of separation so the story really has it all and that's what well, I think uh, Jeremy, whose initial idea it was to do this documentary, uh, that's why he locked up the, the rights and became 
obsessed with bringing it to life because as soon as you say there's these kids that made Raiders of the Lost Ark shot for shot and there's 50 hours of footage of them doing it, of them, like they don't have an engine car. So they have another car pushing a truck with a kid holding onto the grill. He's going to slide underneath it. If someone makes a mistake with the 12-year-old driving, he gets run over. <laughs> and if it the brakes, they have a string tied to it and they pull a wrench and you hope it stops. Oh. None of them have licenses. Yeah. It is madness watching what they do. Um, and all because of one thing, their passion and their love. And like I said, they don't have a clue. They don't know how to make movies. They didn't study it. There is no, there was no Lucas Center for narrative storytelling <laughs> near them in uh, where they were growing up in the South. Um, yeah. um, they just had to do it from memory or go to the movie theater and try and uh, roll a sequence and then go back and try and film it. And it took them seven years as children. So mm-hmm. it's about perseverance and determination and vision and, um, and friendship. Ultimately, it's like these guys are real life goonies. That's what's so awesome about this. And you meet them and they are just guys like us. They love Star Wars. They love Lucas. They're huge aficionados for all that stuff we all grew up on. I know you've got some younger listeners, but guess what? You're growing up on it now too. Um, it's not just one generation's series of films. Um, as we're seeing with Star Wars, it's for everybody. We'll get new Indiana Jones and that's going to be reinvigorate that franchise and bring out um, and create some new fans. So I think this this film um, really, it doesn't matter if you're not even into Raiders, you know, it's really about being electrified by, by a film hey, and Kyle, saying, I want to be in that. I want to be a part of that. How can I do that? Kyle, what's your involvement? I'm the exec producer of the film. So, um, you know, I'm not, you know, different pace for me. I'm not directing it. It's a documentary. There's no writing. So it's just helping the guys do whatever I can to, get what they need, facilitate, um, you know, producing. So it's, it's a different hat I'm wearing this time, you know, and, and it's fun. Uh, Jeremy, I've known for a very long time. Jeremy, Jeremy was the producer of Napoleon Dynamite, which is a film I love. So I've known him a really long time. And so it was great to finally collaborate with Jeremy. He called me up and he's like, do you want to be a part of this? And before he even finished what it was, I was like, yes. Let's do this. I can, I can remember you talking about this quite a bit, you know, just uh, back when um, you know, the Kickstarter campaign was going on. I know this was something that you were really, uh, really passionate about. Yeah. And so I was not surprised to see your name a- attached to the project. Um, what, uh, what's your sense of, you know, where these kids are right now in their, in, in their lives? Uh, they're obviously grown adults, you know, yeah, did, did it, did it inspire really? their, 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 their course, their path, uh, into adulthood or did they just go out and just leave, lead normal lives after this? It did. Well, Eric went to NYU film school. Uh, he was a couple years older than me, so I didn't know uh, him at school. Uh, that's how he crossed paths with Eli or Eli's roommate knew Eric. And that's how we got the initial VHS tape. And I didn't, they didn't think think much of it. So they went on with their lives. They both were studying uh, different aspects and working in, they both moved to LA to pursue film careers. Um, Eric shifted into video games, but stayed in, you know, narrative storytelling or video game storytelling. And um, they both are back in it with the vengeance. They've formed a company together. I think it's called Rolling Boulder. And they have a a screenplay they wrote, um, an adventure type action thing set in the South. Uh, that they're going to try and get off the ground. So they're back doing something original. 
And, you know, they're in their early 40s, like I said, and they're, it's almost like they're just starting out. I think this film's giving them a good, um, good attention, a good platform to launch from. And it's just wonderful seeing him, you know, finally get some of the recognition, seeing this thing come to a fruition, a sense of closure. What's great about the film and what I'm really proud of is that it's connecting with audiences. People leaving the theater are having, it's just getting a lot of standing ovations, a lot of clapping, a lot of rooting for the guys, and the reviews are fantastic. You know, EW Entertainment Weekly gave it their must-see of the week uh, when it came out a week or so ago. Uh, New York Times, everybody's giving it really fantastic reviews. It's almost like if you have a soul, you love this movie. Uh, it's short, it's sweet, it's 90 minutes, and I think it's available on every VOD platform. And then in September, Netflix is getting it, uh, the worldwide rights. So you'll be able oh, to um, absorb it via Netflix in the early fall. But like I said, right now, it is everywhere. You can't miss it. If you just type in Raiders, the story of the greatest fan film ever told, uh, um, I, I promise you, if you listening to this podcast – you are you are going to love it. Absolutely. So if, if our listeners can't get out to see it locally at one of these amazing screenings, by the way, go to RaidersDoc.com and you'll see a yes. full list of the tour dates there. And you'll also get to see that amazing bus. But if, you, if you're not lucky enough to have the guys come to you, you can bring the film to yourself. I watched it via YouTube. It was fantastic. And, uh, and, and like Kyle says, it's, it's available on other platforms and really, really worth the watch. We're all members of the Lucasfilm generation here. We grew up on Star Wars. We grew up on Raiders. We grew up on Howard the Duck. Well, maybe not all of us, but some of us did. And the great thing about this movie is it really takes you back to what it was like to be there in the early 80s when these movies were still new and on the thoughts of all kids, all ages. So uh, definitely worth your while. But if you can see it on tour, go out and see the guys on tour and tell them you heard about it here on Rebel Force Radio. Yes, thank you. You know what? Remember it was Lucasfilm Magazine? Oh, sure. That was the fan club. That yeah. was the best. All those issues back when you'd get Radioland Murders updates. <laughs> sure, sure. Or um, Get your uh, fill on Willow. Oh, we, we've we've talked to Dan Madsen. You know, Dan was yes. the guy that was doing those interviews with George for those those issues. And, you know, we've talked to Dan many times and, and you know, he would always wrap up those interviews by saying, OK, George, well, when <laughs> well, when are you going to go back to Star Wars? And, you know, yeah. George, would, oh, you know, eventually, whatever. He, he never about, said no. But it, uh, uh, there was that time in that magazine, though. Do you remember that back in the day? I forget what year it was. It was maybe 87 or 89. And there was a letter in there, and George was like, I'm never doing Star Wars. I'm done with that. Forget it. It's done. <laughs> remember he wrote a letter to all the fans? And you're like, Did what? he really? I don't I remember cried. that. Did he really? Oh, my God. I, like, I laid in bed, and I was like catatonic. I didn't want to function. I, I was yeah. like, this is impossible. He wrote some, like, it was this, a page in the magazine, I believe, that just said, I'm moving on to other projects and other universes, and Star Wars is done for now. And you're like, what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, and then, then, then he put that little letter out on the on the side of the box for the later, VHS release. Was, you know, the THX release. For a while, it was that was rough living. It was. It was. Imagine, imagine we're trying to run a fan club with Tucker, 
a man in his dream and Radioland murders. <laughs> Maniac oh, Mansion. A couple right. from Tucker. Right. I mean, Willow's one thing. I mean, you know, Willow's Tucker Con. No. <laughs> Touch my well, you know what? There's American graffiti conventions. There are those. I've seen George's talk. I've seen the one from the film. I think everyone that worked on the film ended up with one. I think Francis has one. I think George has got one. I saw George's one at the at the archives downstairs there. Um, he has what? A Tucker. Oh, no kidding. Really? There's only What is there? Only 50 of them, right? The people that worked on the movie got one? Well, George well, and Francis are kind of not evil. Well, I guess. They're kind of like, I guess. So just those two got. Those got two. I, well, maybe I think. Uh, who's the lead? William Bridges? Hurt, right? No, Bridges, right. Oh, Hurt. Right. Bridges. Yeah. I think, I think he got one. I think maybe four of the people that worked on it and went home with Tuckers. Yeah. Hey, Jason, remember when we snuck into that that garage way in the back of Skywalker Ranch, back past the coach houses and everything? And we were in there. We saw some cars, and they were covered up. I wonder if George's Tucker was in there somewhere. I wouldn't say we snuck. Well, we, we, we ended up. Somehow, some way, we ended up in this. Wrong What's turn. It oh, it's a parking garage. Let's go look around. <laughs> now, all these tarped vehicles. Remember that time we, um, we snuck into George's house, and um, we touched his hair and told him we loved him? Yeah, that was that was pretty interesting. Right it's whole, amazing he never woke up. Yeah, and it, it was you know it, we were sitting there at the foot of his bed, and um, <laughs> just you know, stared at him while he slept. Right, just stared. <laughs> I'm picturing cousin Eddie from Vegas Vacation with Wayne Newton. Uh, <laughs> just dream Tucker two, Tucker two. Yeah, dream about Look how peacefully he sleeps. <laughs> RaidersDoc.com. That's where you want to go to learn about all things about Raiders, the story of the greatest fan film ever made. Well, congratulations, Kyle. Uh, we're Thank so you. Happy, uh, nice. That you've uh, another great accomplishment, man. You, you just keep knocking them down. So uh, keep it up. Can't wait to hear what's coming from you next. Oh, there's some good stuff. So uh, hopefully I'll be on again soon to talk about uh, some new uh, ventures, TV and, and mm. beyond. But, um, We'll see. You know, there's still some talk with future fanboy stuff as well. So we'll uh, definitely keep you updated on those things. Well, I'd love to know what the fanboys thought of uh, The Force Awakens. That that would be fun to see. That would be fun. That would be cool to know what those guys thought of it. You know, <laughs> I, you know I, I honestly think knowing them as characters, uh-huh. I think um, for the most part they would have really liked it. Yeah. Don't you think Hutch might have... Uh... Had an issue with a, a Star Wars made uh, by someone else other than George Lucas, or do you think Hutch would have been on board? There, Hutch, I think he would have had more of an issue with Jakku. <laughs> okay, <laughs> so so now I guess we know which character most closely resembles you. <laughs> it's Hutch. No, when Hutch when Hutch just has to say what needs to be said, which he does, and you can't just be nice about it. You got to go. You got the best storyboard artist in the world for three years, best concept designers. And you come back with a planet that looks exactly like Tatooine and change its name. You got to get more inventive. And Hutch should be a little critical of that because Tatooine is like a the nexus planet of Star Wars. It's a very special importance. It's it needs to retain its visual uniqueness. It's a fertile crescent. It's Tatooine. It's Tatooine. 
Oh, but he, all those guys, I really do believe all the fanboys would have liked The Force Awakens. You know, I like it. It's not a perfect movie, but I, I do love it, and it hits all the right notes for me. And I think it's the best launching pad uh, for moving forward and broaden new fans, and it's um, familiarized people that uh, refamiliarized people that kind of lost touch with it, rekindled things for them in all the right ways, and it's just healthy for. For the brand, there's things I would have done differently, but like I want to appreciate it as a fan and just be thankful we're here with yeah. new Indiana Jones, new Star Wars films, and the new Howard the Duck on the horizon and all that. Yeah. Oh, wait, did I let that slip? No, that's not happening. <laughs> Actually, it might. It might. It, I re- you know, it might. All right, or maybe not a standalone, but you know, he might show up again on the maybe. big screen. Yeah, just no Tucker sequel. Yeah. All right, Kyle, thanks so much, man. Take care and safe travels with the family. Thank you guys again. Thanks for helping me uh, spread the word about this film. It is an independent film. It's a small little film, so please do whatever you can to support it. Check it out. Spread the word. Um, you know, it's by fans for fans, you know, and I, I think everyone listening is going to really, really enjoy it. And thank you guys so much for allowing me to come on and talk about it. Anytime. You're always welcome. Your family. All right, man. Thank you, guys. See ya. I appreciate it. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. It's become a cult favorite. They used real snakes, did their own stunts, and nearly burnt down their mom's house. I don't know how to explain this, but it's Raiders of the Lost Ark, remade shot for shot by 11-year-old kids in 1982. I'm getting goosebumps just thinking about it. Just the idea that these two guys were able to make this movie over a period of seven years, to me, is absolutely mind-boggling. They were in college by the time it was finished. Who's got that much time and energy? The fact that they didn't burn down the house is a miracle. Seems like a good example of bad parenting. You're not just watching Raiders, you're rooting for the kids to succeed. It's the best feeling I've ever had in my life. We kind of missed out on our childhood. But the whole time we realized we're filming our childhood. Once that became part of their lives, it's almost as if they've never been able to shake it, even up until now. Always good to hear from Kyle, even though his phone line was a little shaky. And hey, remember, um, yes. Howard the Duck has made his cinematic return via Guardians of the Galaxy. Well, that's what I was alluding to. Yes. I, okay. I, I thought that there was, after that, cameo he was voiced by seth green i believe uh, yes in the movie right yeah and i st- by the way i still haven't seen that i gotta see that but um he uh you know there was there was talk about you know bringing him back you know in another and there's a sequel coming out so i wouldn't be totally surprised if we saw howard the duck in that um but it was a it was a cameo that people were really excited about so a little bit different tone than the uh yeah George Lucas version. Uh, But, you know, it was it's funny because you think about that and it's like, wow, George Lucas doing Howard the Duck. But George is such a comic book fan. We've talked to uh, who was the Imagineer that we spoke with that got to see George's comic book collection. Remember that? The the legendary Tony Baxter. Tony Baxter, right. The the architect, one of the architects of of the original Star Tours. Yes, sir. And uh, but he talked about how he was able to see, you know, George brought him in. So he saw George's comic book collection. We kind of forget, you know, uh, because George is so associated with, uh, you know, I hate to say, but, you know, science fiction and 
uh, fantasy and all of that that he's uh that he's a he's a big comic book fan and it, it, it's it's interesting to me that he never went on to make and encourage more mm-hmm. comic book films that that's not something that he uh you know maybe he just was burned on howard the duck yeah maybe that was it was howard the duck the original marvel movie was that the thing that launched everything think about it well, I, you know, there was the uh, there was a spider. There was a live action Spider Man uh, series uh, in television. Uh, television. In, uh, yeah, well, that's right. That was on television. It, so it wasn't a film. Uh, but wait, 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 wait. No, 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 no. Wasn't there? That might have been. There was a Captain America film again. It went straight to video again. I. I... Okay. All right. But I mean, really... but I think that was after Howard the Duck. Yeah, uh, Howard the Duck was eighty six. And uh, and then I, I think really you can look at the the true launch of the new age of the Marvel films with the first Blade film that came out in the nineties. Oh, wow! Yeah, yeah. because that by the way, really- he's out asking for another Blade movie. Oh, Wesley Wesley Snipes. Yeah, he's he's out of prison. Mm-hmm. Uh, what was it? Tax evasion it or was, something? Yeah, yeah, it was. It was, it was a very like unfortunate, quite honestly. Wesley yeah. Snipes is absolutely brilliant in the role of Blade. So yeah. yeah, that'd be fantastic if they could find something good to do with that character. And he also doesn't age. He's one of those actors. Yeah, oh yeah, and he kicks ass along the way each and every right. year. So uh, yeah, yeah. I, I thumbs up for Wesley Snipes. Shoot, I would love to see Wesley Snipes in a Star Wars film. You know, I, I think maybe some people would disagree with that, but I think he kicks ass. So, yeah, I could, uh, I yeah. could see him. I could see him being a, a badass bounty hunter yes. or something like that, or just put Blade into the Star Wars universe. Oh, God. See, now that's a slippery slope, right? Because <laughs> that, oh, you know, it, I tell you what, if, if, if those movies ever, you know, if they stop making money, that God almighty, we might see that crossover. You never know. Vampires in Star Wars? Uh, I mean, Stan Lee commented on it publicly um, about a Star Wars. We, we had the story here. And he said, oh, you never know. Yeah, never you know. know, but I mean, he's not providing any <laughs> no, in, you know, no. insight in particular. He's just purely speculating there. And Stan, he could say anything he wants at this point. He has nothing to lose. Right, right. Well, you know, Star Wars owes a lot to Stan Lee, actually. You know, it was Stan Lee was the one that took a chance on Star Wars and brought it into Marvel all those years ago. Actually, you know. Stan may take some credit for that and accept uh, an honorary induction into the 501st and everything. But it was Roy Thomas from Marvel who was really the guy who pushed it to Stan. I don't think Stan was very open-minded about doing a movie adaptation at that point in time. But it was Roy Thomas Hmm. who actually uh, was the guy who pushed it forward. And and Roy wrote the initial... Uh, the the first uh, six issues, I believe, the 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 film adaptation was well. And Steve Jobs didn't invent the iPhone either. But you know what? When you think iPhone, that's who you think of, right? Yep. So who's ever heard? Of, I don't see people lining up for blocks to meet Roy Thomas. Oh, I don't know about that. Maybe at certain Comic Cons or San Diego, <laughs> at least. All I know is, wouldn't you think by now that everybody who wants a Stan Lee autograph has one? Has several, but at this point, <laughs> has several. But you you go and when stands at a at do, at doing a convention, I mean, it's just wall to wall. Jim, do you remember we were at a show once in Stan? Do you remember we got trapped behind the Stan Lee line? What show was that? Was was that C two E two? I think that was a, a Dallas show. That was a, that's right. That was a show in Dallas. 
We're going to run the Stan Lee line right in front of Rebel Force Radio. Oh, my. All right, before we wrap things up, uh, let's talk about Little Debbie. In fact, let's give away some Little Debbie. Let's do it. It's hard to... if you're, look, if you're looking for a Little Debbie Galactic Snack Pack, you have got a brand new bar to reach with this week's winner. This is unbelievable. <laughs> you may have heard the name Steve Bennett mentioned here on Rebel Force Radio a couple times over the course of the last uh, few months. Steve joined us in Chicago for the initial Save the Lucas Museum rally on State Street. He flew up from Texas Came out, joined us for the uh, rally, and said it loud, said it proud, and then jumped on a plane hours later and flew back home. Steve Bennett is everywhere these days. We saw him at the Rebel Forest Radio listener meetup at Disney's Hollywood Studios. He was part of Steve Glosson's Star Tours loop, where they went on the ride about 10 times in 30 minutes. And uh, Steve was also at our live broadcast from the Hilton Orlando Lake Buena Vista. Steve Bennett is everywhere. Also, you know, I got to say uh, props to Steve. He he threw in on uh, our uh, Rancho Obi-Wan fundraiser as well. So he definitely uh, has caught my attention as being a great supporter of Star Wars fandom. But his status rose even higher this week. He posted to social media pictures of his visit to Star Wars shooting location Skellig Michael in Southern Ireland, right off of the uh, southwestern coast there. The beautiful Skellig Michael, which stood in for the planet Octu, a place where Ray met up with Luke Skywalker, the greatest ending of any film of all time at the end of The Force Awakens when she held out that saber to him. Well, you know... We followed her path up those stone steps. There's a picture of Steve there standing at the base of those very steps. I hope he's doing what I suggested, and he's got his earbuds in, and he's listening to uh, Jedi Steps from the Force Awakens soundtrack, or at the very least, he's listening to you and me on Rebel Force Radio. (laughs) But Steve made it up those steps, and he walked past those stone huts, those like beehive huts there on Skellig Michael that were created by monks hundreds of years ago and you know there's those doors in those huts that ray walks past and steve is at those doorsteps he's emerging from the hut and he's holding something in both hands he's got in one hand he's got a box of little debbie cosmic brownies and in the other hand he's got a box of little debbie star crunch and the message that he the, the, the caption he attached to the photo says, Jason and Jimmy Mac got to the top and found Luke's pantry. A whole silo of Little Debbie. <laughs> we oh. always knew. We always knew that the Jedi Master could only survive on one thing by himself in exile there on Octu, And that's Little Debbie Cosmic Brownies. The best. So, Steve Bennett, uh, you pretty much broke the internet with this one, my friend. And you definitely have achieved top fan status here at rebel force radio so we are sending you sir a galactic snack pick a galactic snack pack from little debbie filled with all kind of amazing snacks you might find some cosmic brownies in there you might find some star crunch in there the same stuff that luke snacks on when he's hanging out by himself on octu 
regarding who knows what. We'll find out in episode eight, and we'll watch the movie with a box of Little Debbie in our lap the whole time. And Steve, you're going to get a whole box of that stuff, Galactic Snack Pack, coming to your house. We love you, Steve. It's always great to see you at our events. It's we, We're so thankful for your support, and we're loving your photos from Skelly Michael, my friend. So Steve Bennett, expect a Galactic Snack Pack to show up at your house. We're giving them away each and every week here on Rebel Force Radio, of course, because Little Debbie is the official snack of fans across the galaxy. This is like a five-hour show. <laughs> but it's good. It's good. You know, it's good we do a long show. We're taking next week off, so... Yeah, no one's going to complain. Who's complaining? Well, that's going to wrap things up for this week. Next couple weeks, as a matter of fact, we are uh, going to take some time off here for the summer. Do a little R and R here at RFR. Nice. Yeah, yeah. I just thought of that. That's great. Right there, off the cuff. You see how that works? Got to make a T-shirt. <laughs> uh, big, big, big thanks to our sponsors this week: uh, Little Debbie Snack Cakes, Tops, and the Star Wars Card Trader app, and Star Wars Holograms from Zebra Imaging. And last but not least, Loot Crate, our good friends at Loot Crate. Uh, speaking of good friends, the ones that dropped by this week, Kyle Newman and Anthony Bresnikin from Entertainment Weekly. Again, go to EW.com and read all of Anthony's uh, great coverage of Rogue One. And uh, don't forget about Kyle's film, this, uh, Raiders, the story of the greatest fan film ever made. All about those kids in that faithful shot-by-shot reproduction of Raiders of the Lost Ark, also known, by the way, as Raiders of the Lost Ark, the adaptation. So check both of those out. Uh, email, if you'd like to join, uh, play with us in between shows, we'd love to have you. Show at rebelforceradio.com. The voicemail line, 708-320-1737. That's 708-320-1RFR. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at Rebel Force Radio, at Jimmy Mac Radio, at Jason Swank, the Facebook page, and the Facebook group, all there at Facebook.com. Just search for Rebel Force Radio. And uh, the official website for all things and everything Rebel Force Radio can be found at RebelForceRadio.com. If you want to download and subscribe all the podcasts from Rebel Force Radio, you can do that on iTunes. Would love to have your subscription. Would also love to have your review. Just one rule, please. Make it good. And as a reminder, you can find Rebel Force Radio streaming at WGNplus.com. Uh, it's on just about each and every Saturday night at 7 p.m. Eastern time at srsounds.com. And you can also download us through SoundCloud and just about anywhere else you can find podcasts like Stitcher. I use... Uh, what well, I don't even know what it's called. Overcast. I use Overcast. It's a great podcatcher. Spotify has been fantastic. Oh, yeah. We haven't really talked about that a whole lot. But, uh, yes, you can listen to us on Spotify. Um, yeah, that was the name of that, that planet in James Cameron's movie. Rebel Force Radio is an official friend of Wikipedia. We love those guys, so visit them. The ultimate online Star Wars encyclopedia can be found at wikipedia.com. That's two E's. Two E's, folks. You can also find us weekly at JediNews.co.uk, Yodasnews.com, and the official Star Wars website. You guessed it. That's right. Star Wars. 
rebelforcerebelforce.com. So we'll see you next time. Have a great one. For Rebel Force Radio, I'm Jason. And I'm Jimmy Mack with two E's. <laughs> and remember, the Force will be with you always. What 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 I would have loved to have seen is uh, you know Ahsoka, she gets a land speeder, she drives off with Lutch Bound Terry, and they make little Ahsokas and little Luxes and live happily ever after on a farm. <laughs>